Today's time, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, maybe you're in traffic, suffering through a commute, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes, because DLC is on the air. DLC, of course completely free delivered the way we love it to be and that is because of our new sponsors this week we have two new sponsors Eero and Jet they're bringing the show to you DLC of course the show all about games and their many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles and also games that involve dice luck and cardboard I'm your host Jeff Kanata that's spelled with two n's and one t and I'm joined as always by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis the guy who has also requested a trade out of Cleveland, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Two quick things to our audience. One, there'll be bonus content at the end of this episode. Uh, on the RSS, I interviewed the Farpoint composer, so I got to chat with him. Spoiler alert, they do not have any AIM bundles on hand. I already tried to get them, <laughs> get some from them. They don't have any of those, but that'll be after this episode. And two... If you are happy with what your senator is doing regarding health care, call and let them know. And if you are unhappy with what your senator is doing regarding health care here in the U.S., call and let them know. Either way, give them a call. It's super easy to do and uh, take the time. By the time you listen to this, it's probably already too late. No, <laughs> it's never too late. It's <laughs> never too late. Stay oh, it's happening age. tomorrow. It's all going down tomorrow. Anyway, uh, it's doomed. We're doomed. It's all doomed. Anyway, uh, good good day to talk about video games, though, because, oh my gosh, summer is not the lull it used to be. There are tons of new things coming out, tons of things to play, interesting news to discuss, and we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, we're excited because DLC, once again, stands for Diversions and Livelihoods Combined. Because from Gamers with Jobs and the Gamers with Jobs Conference Call podcast, one of my very favorite people on the internet, Mr. Julian Murdoch, is back with us. Hey, Julian. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. I hear that theme music. And did this, do you guys do little dances in your chairs? Because I like have to do a little dance in my chair when I hear the theme music. I love it. Yeah, I, I tend to, and I hope most people do, because that's what it's there for. Gotta, gotta do the dance. <laughs> gotta do the dance. Uh, all right, um, let's talk about games. We've got lots to talk about. Let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. I want to give a big shout out to somebody in the sh in the subreddit right off the top here, uh, Sauce, which I think is maybe chocolate sauce, but it he writes it like Chokeslotsousy. He is doing detailed show notes breakdowns for our episodes. He started a couple of weeks ago, and my goodness, what a great job, providing links to everything we talk about, timestamps, the whole nine yards. So if you're looking for that kind of information, I'm so grateful that he's doing it, and it's awesome to see. Uh, so check out our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. All right, story of the week. Julian, you are our guest. So what would you consider to be your story of the week? 
Well, I, I somebody else is going to, I'm sure, talk about uh, Nintendo, but I want to talk about Pokemon uh, because I think the the funniest story of the week, although truly not funny if you were there, was the uh, the Fire Festival of Nerdcom, uh, <laughs> really which, which was the uh, Pokemon Go Fest that wasn't. Uh, which I just find I find hilarious, not because these people paid money for to go and capture these legendary Pokemon and celebrate their love for all things Pokemonic, uh, but but because why did they think this was going to work at all? I mean, they they went to this place to go have. A million people show up to all try to get on to do stuff with Pokemon Go at the same time. And surprise, surprise to absolutely nobody who would have thought about this ahead of time. It didn't work. And so they're giving their money back. And I think there were like, uh, you know, people like sleeping in porta potties and eating cheese sandwiches. I don't know. It was, <laughs> it's, it's all it all seemed very tragic to me. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy story. Uh, this was in Chicago. They had the uh, Pokemon Go Fest. And it Pokemon went. Um, the <laughs> I guess I guess the idea of the Pokemon Go Fest was uh, a bunch of people get together and chant "Fix Your Game" because that's what happened. <laughs> uh, if you watch the videos of this, it's pretty crazy. It's a bunch of very unhappy people uh, standing in front of a stage where the developers were going to come out and celebrate the game, and they decided not to come out because people were chanting "Fix Your Game." Um, man, it really sad, especially because Chicago at the end of July is not. A fun place to be standing outside. Um, you're hot, you're sweaty, it's muggy and humid. And they did it. Everybody braved the the conditions and came from miles away. People came internationally to fly in, people, big, big Pokemon Go fans. Because, as you said, Julian, there was going to be these rare Pokemons. It was going to be this big, cool community event. And they borked it as much as you can bork a thing. And it does boggle the mind that they didn't stress test the network or figure out some way to reinforce it because it's not like it was a surprise there was going to be a bunch of people there. Um, Niantic really kind of dropped the ball here, and it's a shame because these are your most devoted fans, and you feel like these are the people you want to most uh, thank and help. But to their credit, like you said, they re refunded their, uh, I guess, $20 wristband fee to get into the event, and they also gave them $100 of in-game currency. So they're trying to do right by it, but man, what a bungle. Yeah, I, I just I, – it boggles my mind that this keeps happening. I mean this is the equivalent of every MMO launch, you know, where yeah. you know it launches and everybody's surprised that everybody wants to get on the server at the same time and there's a two-hour line. And it's gotten a little bit better in some games. You know, a lot more games do these sort of slow – sort of closed betas and then, you know, alpha weekends and all these things. I mean, Destiny 2 just had their weekend, right, to try to do that. And a big point of that is to test what those load surges are like. But the idea that you're going to be able to pull this off in the real world, like in a, in a physical space where you have to be there and you've got radio transmission involved and it's just the idea that this was going to work strikes me as baffling, no matter how much you tested it. Um, yeah. And I, I'd be shocked if we see them even try it again yeah that's kind of a shame right that this is it's they broke the concept of a festival for pokemon <laughs> go uh what yeah. do you think about this christian well i think a hundred dollars covers most international flights so i don't know why people <laughs> yeah a hundred dollars in pokemon boosters <laughs> that's they it's take exactly that at, the same yeah. yeah they take that at united right it's well they take you off the plane at, on united <laughs> um 
it's disheartening, right? It's easy to make fun of and be like, uh, why did anyone expect this to work? And I think even especially the developers, you know, I think that's where the blame lies. But I don't think, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if this had the same problems that fire. I love that analogy and that joke, but I don't, I don't know if this was a swindle. Um, I think I, I like to think that there were good intentions behind it. I do think that while that game has had its continued share of problems, um, they're trying, you know, more than they need to certainly. Um, and I don't know if that's Nintendo or the Pokemon company saying they, they have to or whatever. And there's, there's continual updates to this game and this, this sucks. It sucks to the people that just walked out of their house and went to this thing. And it sucks worse for the people that traveled really far for it because, at some point, even if you're a glass half empty kind of person, if you're going to this thing, you know, you have you have high hopes. <laughs> and yeah. just, and I mean, it's something that brings you joy. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like a thing that you're super engaged with. You really like it, you know, love it or hate it. You probably have your own personal problems with it that you complain about with your friends, but you're still checking in regularly. You're still getting a lot of joy out of this app. And then to go to this thing um, to me, I think this could be a, 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 a personal game killer. Like if the thing that I was really excited about and I went to this big festival celebrating it, like an official one from the people responsible for the game and it was awful, as awful as this sounded to be, I think I'd be like, I guess I don't like Darkwing Duck anymore or whatever that thing is, right? Well, well, to uh, to provide contrast in the chat here, a Nomad MP says he's a, a Pogo player and he says it was – Sort of a bungle, but outside of the fest, the event was successful, and yesterday on the streets was the most fun I have had since launch. So people that didn't actually go to Chicago to this thing still sort of participated in this day of fun, and he said it's uh, it, it reinforced his love of the game. So good for you know. them! Like that's that's making fun despite what was going on, and that's you know that's a great game community when you've got a group of people like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually happy to hear this game is still being played. It's funny, anecdotally, uh, I went over to my in-laws uh, last weekend, and um, they had some friends from out of town that were from Utah, actually. And uh, it's a, a grandmother, a young grandmother, who uh, was, was talking to me about her grandson, who's, I don't know, eight, maybe? And that's all they do. That's how they bond is she plays Pokemon Go with him. And he asks her if she, he got it, if she got any great Pokemon while she was traveling. And that's how they bond together. They still play it every day. And I don't know. I think that's wonderful that that kind of thing can exist and, and still be going strong. So it's a positive. Hopefully it stays that way. <laughs> but a crazy event. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Well, it just stinks that it's right after this one. Um, I will argue that between the two of us, Jeff, I am the bigger Nintendo fan. Uh, but they, that's accurate, yeah. they hurt me. They hurt me from time to time and they hurt me again. They're, the Switch online app is officially out. Um, Splatoon 2 is also out. It's currently free, the online app. And I don't know if either of you have played with it at all. Um, it's a disaster. Um, it's, yeah, but the good news is in 2018, it will be, you have to pay to use it. Well, so that's, <laughs> uh, I mean, apologists or optimists are saying by the time we pay for it, it'll be fixed, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's the hope. And, but I feel like they've had so much time to, it's not as if, Voice chat was just created. It's not as if online infrastructures were just created, um, things with your friends, any of that stuff. It's not as if they couldn't have booted up an Xbox 360, and I'm very oversimplifying, but gone control C, <laughs> control V, or, you know, whatever the real version of that is. This thing, 
if your phone the last time uh i checked in with it which oh, for my own person i my it wasn't accepting my password which i know was right i use one password i signed it on my pc i signed in everywhere the app was anyway but then when you're in this stupid thing if your phone goes to sleep it's done if you get a notification it's done if you try to check twitter or tweet like hey i'm playing it's done um i think what- you skipped i think you buried the lead though christian you have to turn on your phone. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you're like, oh, when I'm on my I'm on my phone because I need to play my Switch game. No, that's a problem right there. And, and remember, all, we're already a problem. Remember those pictures of that third party Splatoon branded headset and how silly it looked because it has like a, a squid that's a splitter. Like one goes into the unit, one goes into your phone, and then you have this thing. Like yeah. that's it. Like that's not a that's not the, like Nintendo hasn't been like that's a funny third party one. Here's ours. Like. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's Discord, right? Like, download Discord onto your phone. It is, I can't, I mean, the, the sad part is I can't believe call it. your friends on your well, phone. <laughs> it's on, have you guys tried this? Julian, have you tried this at all? Do you no, download my, So my son took our, he's on a trip and he took the Switch with him and he's playing Splatoon 2 on this trip. They're like bopping around the Pacific Northwest. Um, so somehow he's playing i don't know whether he's been using the app everything i've read single player it has an okay single player player. (laughs) um or he's playing i guess against puppies um because i think that's a thing you can do uh still so so i i find this to be inconscionable i mean how did we how did we end up here i mean they could have just licensed something from twitch or from (sighs) curse you'd think the 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 biggest thing to me i know jeff's using your phone but like they're not even using your quote-unquote phone the way you like you have to turn your auto lock to off it's like your the, the screen literally has to be on on that app as of i don't know yes i didn't do it this morning um i mm, I, I what what <laughs> yeah uh, i just i think over and over and over again we get this evidence that the switch was not ready for prime time and it was rushed out and they just really did not have their ducks in a row on how all of this stuff was going to work. And it, and it feels all ad hoc and all on the fly. And they're just improvising as they go. And it's like, Oh, we'll get it out because Splatoon 2 is ready and let's have something out. And oh man, we can't charge people for this. Okay. Well, we'll just tell them that we won't charge it until next year. And it just feels so disorganized. Uh, in the chat, uh, Pixelated Soul says Nintendo just wants the phone battery to die faster than the Switch battery. <laughs> <laughs> you look a lot um, battery is everybody i i I think i i I think you're right um or the other side of it is um they really just don't get it like they make some of the best most polished games but when it comes to ui or systems and online stuff kind of like how with the wii u it took them forever and they i think eventually admitted like yeah hd graphics blindsided us i know that we were a gen late to them but we just didn't know how hard it would be even listening to our Sony uh, brothers say it was hard for <laughs> four years. I just, I think it must be the same thing. I just don't. All they're doing is making some of the best games ever, and they don't look up and be like, "Hmm, this online and, thing and seems like something we should worry I about." I still think, I still think the Switch is an amazing platform. I love yes. it. Yes, I love it. I mean, at this point, you know, if a game was out on multiple systems, I would buy it on the Switch first because I want to be able to take it with me. Um, yeah, and no, I agree. Know, Unless it's a multiplayer game, and then you have to take your phone with you or your tablet with you. <laughs> then I buy it on PS4. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
they actually have, you know, a new console that they're launching this week on Friday. They're launching a new console, guys. Uh, the a new 2DS XL is coming out this Friday with a whole bunch of launch titles, including uh, Hey Pikmin and Metopia. So it's a. Uh, this where it's you play big... the Christian was right prediction music. Do you have that queued up? I guess I don't. There's. <laughs> I think you have to do that live, Christian. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the the idea that that uh, you know we're talking about how awesome it is that you can play games on the go with the Switch, and they're like, want to buy this other thing <laughs> where you can yeah, play games here's... on the go. <sighs> And, I, and the I whole, and the whole, wonder. the whole draw of the 2DS is it's exactly like this other thing we sold you, but minus the feature that made it, that gave it its title. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you want that? It doesn't have that feature that we wanted you to be excited about. Yeah. Oh. I've never quite understood all that, but I, it, it always, it strikes me as like there's multiple companies and they just don't talk to each other. It almost seems like that. It does. It, I mean, that's that's Sony, right? That's not Nintendo. Nintendo is is shouldn't be like that. Uh, speaking of Nintendo, I'm going to have my story of the week be another Nintendo story. This one's more of a rumor, but it seems to have some credibility. Um, Polygon picked up on the fact that Nintendo just trademarked a uh, an image, a black and white line drawing of the Nintendo 64 controller, which wouldn't be such a big deal, except. The fact that they trademarked, previously trademarked the same style black and white line drawing of the original NES controller and the original Super Nintendo controller right before they re- released classic editions or announced classic editions. The SNES classic obviously hasn't even come out yet. And we, we're going to talk a little bit about that debacle this week as well with pre-orders, but it does lead a lot of people to believe that the Nintendo 64 Classic Edition is on its way. So I know we've talked over and over and over on the show about how all of us, and I'm, I'm sure, Julian, you would agree, all of us would prefer Virtual Console on Switch to buying these things uh, each time. But certainly people are lining up to buy these Classic Editions. Are you excited at all about a teeny tiny itty bitty N64? Uh, I am, and and here's why. So first of all, for me, for my money, this is where I start getting interested in the library. I was not a huge uh, SNES player. I was playing computer games mostly at that point. Um, but this is where we pick up uh, Rogue Squadron and Star Fox sixty four, uh, Paper Mario, and I mean, there's the, the the you know top twenty games that you would hope would show up on this is a really strong list, right? I mean, just time, Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask. I mean, it's it's arguably the sweet spot in history for Nintendo titles, I think. Right? It's where everything is what? Right. I I for me, I'm just saying Okay, okay, great. Thank you. This is um I mean there are more classic older titles and certainly there were some GameCube titles that were awesome, but I, I still think this is where Nintendo really is owning the genre in in an interesting way. And for me, I like that little Batwing controller. So if they're going to ship this thing with that controller, that makes you, makes me actually more interested in the classic version than just getting, you know, a, a, another virtual console version of Paper Mario or Perfect Dark or something like that. Right. Um, I, I kind of side with Christian on this one. I think the Super Nintendo for me is still the, the high watermark of Nintendo all time. Um, and I also draw a little contrast because I think, honestly, pixel-based graphics and games 
tend to age better than the birth of 3D. And N64 games, for me, I think don't they, they just don't look as good and aren't as playable now as the pixel-based games are. I think the the growing pains of the early 3D stuff sticks out more, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That's uh, fair. But I do think this is kind of a cool thing uh, with the caveat that it's a bummer they just aren't doing it virtual console because I think all of us would prefer playing them on our... Oh, they'll, they'll, they'll do that too. They just want to sell all of these and right. then they'll launch the virtual console versions because we all know we need to buy four versions of Paper Mario. Right. right. So I want to steal this idea from uh, Wombat from Cheap Ass Gamer. And it, I forget if this was on a show where he talked about it or we were just texting. So I don't know if it's out there somewhere. Uh, but this is his idea. <laughs> so I need to make sure to give him credit. Uh it's this the idea that instead of or maybe even sell this classic thing, but like imagine if they sold the cart, the uh, switch cart that had the same bundle of games on it. And then when you bought it, you could buy it digitally and just get the game. But when you bought it physically, the only way it was released was the same $80 price point or whatever. But what came bundled with it was a wireless, like an 8 o version, you know, yeah. SNES or n64 controller because then you still have that nostalgia feeling as you're sitting there holding that batarang controller playing these n64 games it's still the hundred dollar profit margin or whatever it is <laughs> the switch can accept bluetooth controllers now you're selling your console that you currently have out there you're selling this peripheral add-on that still strikes that same nostalgia thing that still like looks cool sitting on a shelf when you have this controller sitting there the same way the mini box of the you know retro console looks sitting there and it's infinitely more playable and not just a one-time thing that's taking up an HDMI slot on your TV. Like when he said that, I was like, that's too smart. There's I'm no way the company that really released smart. the phone app for chat will make that. I don't I don't doubt Wombat came up with that, but I'm pretty sure we talked about something like this already on the show. And, and I was maybe I already stole his idea. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I'm pretty uh, the, sure we the talked idea about the, of idea adding of, the controller is what I like. Yeah, like the adding the controller would be cool. But you could you could literally just say, Hey, do you want to buy the Cla- the uh, Super Nintendo Classic Edition in a store, or do you want to buy it virtually? We sell it right. both ways, and it's the same price, and you can buy it virtually, and it's all the same games. And I, I don't understand why they don't do that. It seems so easy, but well, and the controllers right now, like I have an eight bit do eight bit do, however you pronounce it, NES thirty uh, Bluetooth controller. That's actually one of my favorite controllers. I keep it in my laptop bag with me, and I play MAME games on that. I I will admit to having played some uh, console ports, or not console ports, uh, you know, emulated console games with that controller. And that, to me, scratches all of my console controller itches, except for N64, because that's the one that's really unique and different. Yeah. 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 I think that that is a cool idea to release the controller as a Bluetooth thing, and that... That also unlocks the – it could be part of that bundle. That would be rad. But it's so easy to me to just say, hey, do you want to buy a virtual edition of this and just put it out on Switch? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think they do it both. Virtually, it's 60 bucks or whatever it is just for the collection. And then the in-store version, kind of like the packed-with-an Amiibo version, like comes with that yeah. controller or whatever. I, I think also, though, that the N64 well, has some great games. I'm curious. I, I feel like they run into licensing issues for a lot of the games that, that I really love from that oh, system. Like yeah. 007, Conquer, uh, well, I, I, they've been getting some Square games, but that Perfect was the Dark. RPG. Perfect Dark, I don't think is them anymore. Um, Star Wars, I don't know if they would get that. 
Um, but they have plenty to pack a thing. I mean, they could do that. You know, Mar- Mario 64, Donkey Kong 64, both Garbage. Zelda games. Those are uh, good. Super Smash Brothers, the original, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are, there are, I could name 20 games okay. that are just first person. Challenge, challenge accepted. Go ahead. Well, let me Google. No. Here's what I can rattle off. Uh, Star Fox, Mario, Mario Golf, uh, Donkey Kong. Was there a Mario Tennis 64? Mario Party, oh. a Smash. A, there's a cart. There's stuff Wave cart. Race. Yeah, Mario Kart. Yeah. Mario Kart. Yeah, Wave Race. 1080. Paper Mario. Paper Mario. I don't, Paper Mario is not them, right? It's oh, you be. may be right. They gotta have the rights to it. They gotta have the rights to it, though. Yeah. Do I was they? Say at this point, I got ten, and that took me too long. <laughs> Still, I don't think they're gonna have a problem filling out a thing. All the Zeldas, two Zeldas. Yeah, two Zeldas. All right. Well, I hope it comes out. Uh, but uh, I, yeah, we, we got Ooh. a uh, an email to this effect. This comes from Todd uh, Meltalk. He said uh, he sent this, by the way, to DLC Feedback at gmail.com, where you can send your emails if you have comments or questions to send to us. Uh, he says, please help me wrap my brain around this. With the recent Super Nintendo, Walmart, and Best Buy pre-orders going live, although I think he's wrong. I don't think Best Buy went live. I think it was just Walmart. Uh, uh, pre-orders going live for the Classic Edition and instantly disappearing. Why is Nintendo doing this to its customers? Why are they playing this game if saying they'll release considerably more than the NES, but... Uh, oh, of saying, excuse me. Why are they playing this game of saying they'll release considerably more than the classic NES, but we can all agree there won't be enough to go around even for the hardcore fans. Why is Nintendo trying to splinter their beloved fans? Is it that they're disappointed and we didn't buy the Wii U? We barely had enough games <laughs> to make it worthwhile. Yeah, they're being, they're being punitive. Uh, <laughs> with the recent rumored N64 classic, using that as yet another reason they'll not move forward with the virtual console on the Switch. I'd buy a physical copy and the same set of games digitally twice over if I could, and I know I'm not the only one. So what is Nintendo doing to its customers? Um, I mean, it's kind of what we were already talking about, but I think he's framing it in a in a more consumer-centric viewpoint of like, why are they making it so hard on us? I, I don't think they are intentionally. I, I mean, never never ascribe to malice what can be explained by incompetence, right? I, I just genuinely <laughs> right. think this is, you know, they have one production line sitting over in a corner somewhere uh, and retooling that between doing this and doing switches or doing, uh, you know, an, an upcoming 64 classic or making the new XL 2D or 2D XL. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not like they can just flip a switch and turn on more production lines. Those are big decisions. And I think they, you know, somewhere I'm guessing in a corner, there's a Nintendo executive who said, hey, let's let's release this sort of limited edition collector's thing. People will eat it up. It'll be great. And And now we're all really focused on that as like a core offering when I think they intended it to be initially sort of as a, a, a sort of a little collector's item. Right. Yeah. I think think you're right. I think it, I think it, it got bigger than they ever thought it would. And now they're scrambling to keep up. I think they're also a very conservative, um, supply side company and they, they look at things that are sitting on shelves, you know, Amiibo or Disney Infinity before that, or some of the things that they haven't been able to move. And I, I think that they're, deathly afraid of having a bunch of product consoles their their big ticket kind of prestige items or whatever that really carry their brand and their marquee just being dead weight on retail shelves so i think that they will always underproduce 
versus overproduce and needing to slash prices. They're very protective. You don't see their games go on sale that often. When they do get price cuts, it's that rebranded player's choice or whatever they call it. They don't have inventory just sitting there kicking up dust where you kind of look at like, oh, Nintendo garbage, like flea market stuff or whatever it is. And they're not hurting for money still. So it's not as if, you know, someone right. is knocking on the door saying, we got to get a million of these out or we're, we're going under. They're like, we'll make 10. Okay. <laughs> and they're done. Hmm. Yeah, maybe so. Either way, it's it's really it unfortunate. Sucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to do just add one more story here uh, because I think this is an interesting little inside baseball bit. Uh, I know a lot of us that came out of E3 all jazzed about Anthem are excited to hear any news about that game. Um, Bioware's big any sprawling. news? In, well, any news? Uh, yeah, any news like this news? Well, it's an interesting piece of news like i'm 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 curious what you guys I'm think saying, about it yeah 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 i just meant like so, i'm not ex- this isn't the news that gets me excited <laughs> no no but it's it certainly piques my interest because now i'm you know i'm i'm wondering if you guys are worried anyway the news is that uh, aaron flynn who was the director of anthem the game director for anthem and bioware's general manager is stepping down um it doesn't say the word retirement but it certainly seems as if he's kind of Retiring, uh, he's a 17 year veteran of the studio, and uh, he oversaw Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Star Wars: The Old Republic, lots of games in that storied uh, developer's history. And uh, so he's stepping down. He was in charge of Anthem, and he's not seeing that game to its release, which is, I think, an odd thing. Usually, these kinds of things, um, you you see a person, you know, step down after they finally release that last game that they were working on. Not the case here, uh, but interestingly, taking his place will be the returning Casey Hudson, who had left Bioware a couple of years ago to go become tr- creative director at Microsoft Studios. He comes back to the fold. Casey Hudson shepherded the first um, Mass Effect series, the, the first trilogy of Mass Effect games, and uh, is a big name, and it was big news when he left Bioware. He's coming back. And he says, um, his quote is, the last few years have been transformative for me from having time to reflect on what I most want to do to working with new technologies at platform scale. And now I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to return to lead Bioware, a studio that I think of as home. So, Julian, what do you think about this? First of all, are you excited for Anthem? And do you think this is a bad sign or do you think this is cool? I am now more excited for Anthem, to be Mm. honest. Um, I'm an unabashed uh, Mass Effect original trilogy fanboy. Uh, I didn't even hate the endings in 3. I I, I just loved the thing all the way through. I played them multiple times. Um, I I can point out the warts in them, but uh, they're very few long story games I replay the same way I reread Stranger in a Strange Land every couple of years or something like that. And, Mm. And the Mass Effect trilogy is one of them. Um, so stranger in a strange land has now become friend in your house. Yeah. <laughs> wow. A, wow. Christian. Uh, okay, so how, okay. how disappointed were you with, uh, with Andromeda then? Uh, very. Yeah. I, I, I've still have not put more than four or five hours into it. Oof. Uh, now I played, you know, right at launch when it had all sorts of horrible problems. Um, and I play those games predominantly for the story and the writing. And I found that to be pretty weak. 
yeah. and and the fact that the key storytelling mechanisms like say animation and art style were awful um it certainly at launch didn't help uh so i i even haven't even gone back to it i'm sure i will at some point because i find the world interesting uh but having casey hudson come back who i don't know personally makes me more interested in anthem than i might have been otherwise christian you seem like you were ringing the the worried knell not death knell but worried knell well, yeah, I'm just a, a little worried, and I do think someone in the chat mentioned that Casey was kind of there when Anthem, a previously untitled next Bioware project, was kind of first announced, and uh, I think I remember something like that. Who knows if that is what Anthem is or was, um, I, but I think kind of like you mentioned, when um, someone steps down so close after a, a reveal or kind of in the middle of a project, it raises a little bit of a worried flag. The thing I think is, is interesting is the side of this story that we haven't talked about yet. I wonder if it's more telling for Microsoft Studios than it is for BioWare, where Casey, I think, was a pretty big hire acquisition over there at the time when mm-hmm. Microsoft was going to be doubling down on stuff. And, you know, I, I certainly think that there are a lot of great games on the Xbox One. One thing that felt lacking uh, after E3 and the announcement of the Xbox One X was kind of reasons to own an X or these exclusives that are coming to the system that otherwise aren't on the PlayStation or on PC. And I know Microsoft is very invested in that play anywhere kind of pc platform um but i'm curious if casey felt frustrated with what he was able to do there or get achieved with microsoft and you know coming back to bioware and and seeing anthem out the door seemed like the right the right move so i think that's interesting yeah it is it's going to be very interesting to see what his effect on on, i mean we won't know really but it's well we don't know we don't know much about anthem anyway i mean from what we've seen you know i know a lot of bioware fans haven't been that enthused by it because it looked like it was sort of a you know destiny slash division style type game far more than the traditional bioware type game right uh and and that's part of why i was a little lukewarm on it i I sort of that that itch gets scratched by a lot of other games already um so having him come back maybe we're wrong maybe we're wrong about what we're going to see out of anthem well uh in the chat could 432 also points out that the writer for mass effect 1 and 2 came back for anthem and is still on it so hopefully uh that means that it really does seem just based on the trailer that there is a very dense sci-fi world happening there so uh, maybe there will be more story and more uh, narrative than what that sort of action-based trailer leads us to believe yeah hope all right uh let's move on we got lots of games to talk about that we've been playing uh but first i want to thank our first sponsor brand new sponsor really excited eero e-e-r-o eero is sponsoring the show and Eero is a a very new, very different kind of Wi-Fi system for your home. This is kind of answering a prayer that I've had for a long, long time. I don't know if you're like me, but if you have dead spots or places in your house where you walk and your Wi-Fi doesn't come in as well as it should, or you have uh, – your data rates dip in certain areas of your house, Eero is built for that very reason. They just came out with their second generation Eero systems. These are um, basically distributed Wi-Fi. It's kind of like the same thing that um, businesses have been using for a long, long time, but you couldn't really get in your home because it was so expensive. Eero is built from the ground up to be a system that provides wall-to-wall um Wi-Fi, but also is is uh, modular, so you can add new points as needed to fill out areas that you might 
find lacking with with your with your data rates and it's all run through this really slick app um they sent one to me i checked it out it you you can install it so easily it it's like all the really awesome new tech products now where the packaging is really cool. You open it up and it says, hey, download the app. Step one, download the app. And then the app just like takes you through it. And it's so simple. Well, you have the main Eero and then you have these beacons. The beacons are these little pluggable things that go in your wall that add uh, new areas of Wi-Fi coverage. It's pretty slick. And um, it's so simple to install. That's what I like most about it is you just literally plug these things into your wall and they add a whole new area of Wi-Fi coverage. Plus on the app, you can, you get all this great info about all the devices on your system and what, what uh, speeds they're getting. So you have a, a lot more information of how to distribute that, where to plug them in in your house and how to create the perfect Wi-Fi coverage for your residents. It's awesome. Plus it's got state-of-the-art encryption. It's got uh, great customer support. If you have any problems, they have incredible customer support. And they, you know, they say that you will get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert, a person, within 30 seconds. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm really digging it. It really changed the coverage in my house using, using Eero. And I think you guys should check it out. What we can provide for you is a promo code. If you go to uh, Eero.com, and uh, use the promo code DLC at checkout, you get free overnight shipping. That's pretty cool. So that you can get this Eero very fast, very, very quick, very quick to your house. It's really changed the way I use Wi-Fi because now I can just go in the backyard if I want to and use my Wi-Fi. I don't have to worry about coverage. My wife, uh, who works from home, she's in in, you know, can lay in bed and use Wi-Fi. We can just create this very, uh, very customizable blanket of coverage across our house. And it's, it's so, so easy. Plus, since this is the second generation of Eero, they've added a third five gigahertz radio, which means it's now tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor. So not only do you have crazy fast Wi-Fi that can blanket your house in fast, reliable, uh, speeds, you also have the addition of new thread radio. So you can connect low power devices such as locks, doorbells, other sensors that you might, you know, make your house a smart home. So check it out, Eero.com, E-E-R-O, and use the promo code DLC at checkout to get yourself free overnight shipping. Julian, what is on your playlist this week? Actually, I know I was I was watching the tweets of you guys uh, playing Fortnite, which I've also played a little of. I know you were playing a bunch of that, right? Yeah, I um, I I I am not even sure what to call this game. It's it's, but it's really. Do you interesting. want to call it Orcs Must Die with Minecraft? It's, yeah, that's well, sort of Orcs Must Die with Minecraft, but with really good shooting and and melee mechanics. It's very strange. It's a uh, game from Epic. Uh, the last thing they did was Paragon, which was their sort of over the shoulder uh, MOBA clone, which was fun. Played it a little bit. Still uh, not out, fun. right? Technically, I, th- I think all Paragon? these things perpetual beta. You know. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of friends that love, I never got hooked into it, but I have some people, comics and also just some other people that, you know, play games that are hooked that Paragon has totally grabbed. I know Andrea got grabbed by Paragon also. That's true. It's yeah, funny though I that I Fortnite, was, it, but... Fortnite was announced way before Paragon was even a thing. And then 
Paragon yeah. was announced and released and playable before Fortnite even well, hit Well, Paragon's a very simple game compared to what's going on in Fortnite. Um, you know, because Paragon is just basically a three-lane MOBA uh, that's changed a few little things. Uh, it, it's it's really not very complex other than the, the fact you have to run big multiplayer servers for it compared to what's going on in Fortnite, which, if anything, falls under the weight of its own complexity because it's trying to be... Orcs Must Die. If you haven't played Orcs Must Die, it's a basically tower defense, but you're playing over the shoulder third person and you can shoot stuff. Uh, and so you're laying out traps and shooting creeps that come at you. So it's that. That's the core mechanic. But then there's this whole other part of it, which is going and raiding the whole world to get crafting materials so that you can build all of these traps and structures. And then there's a whole weapons and upgrade system. And then you're collecting a bunch of servers survivors who are part of your squads and you use them for sort of bonuses or even as sort of turrets that you put down to shoot people and every one of these things has its own skill system and its own sort of experience point system and then there's two in-game currencies to help you buy one of four or five different kinds of loot crates you can open up it's the number of systems in this game is it gives me a migraine just thinking about it but i'm having so much fun yeah, it, I agree with you. I was very overwhelmed by just the progression uh, and how much there is to do after any given mission. It's like, okay, upgrade your weapons, upgrade, get new schematics, upgrade your people, upgrade yourself with these weird skill tree things, upgrade your heroes, uh, open your, <laughs> open your pinatas, open your loot boxes. There's different kinds of loot boxes. Open, you know, it's like, what is even happening? <laughs> but, but, the core... but yeah, the game, central game's fun. Yeah, the core gameplay mechanic is really interesting. And the loop, um, you know, a lot of times games like this where there's a lot of sameness, it's sort of like, what's the gameplay loop? What's What keeps you coming back to do the same thing over and over again? And the core loop here is really enter a four-player world, explore that apocalyptic, uh, you know, leftover style world where 98% of the world's gone, which is very odd and depressing. So you explore that for like 10 or 15 minutes and get a bunch of stuff, which is all persistent. You get that and you carry it forever uh, unless you use it. And then eventually trigger some event so that you have to build a fort and then defend that fort against creeps. That's the basic gameplay loop here. Um, but you bounce between different kinds of missions and you also have a home base that you're constantly upgrading and that part's really fun. I love building big, persistent things that I feel like I have some ownership in. And yeah, doing the, the, that the with fort that you the fort that you build inside your mission, if you put a lot of time and energy into building this cool fort, it goes away. Yeah, it, after the mission's gone. over, it's dust. You're you're you know, it's like oh. But you're right. There is a persistent home that you, that's cool to build. But I, I was a little bummed of like, well, I'm not going to really care to make the walls awesome on this fort in this mission because it's just gone as soon as I finish the mission. Well, but the t the tension there is actually if you do have like the materials for like a particularly awesome kind of trap or something like that 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 has a lot of difficult to find materials underneath it, um, do you use that to win the mission? or to do better in the mission, or do you hoard that to take back home? And as you get a little further in, the the difficulty curve on this game is super easy for the first six or seven hours. Like, yeah. crazy stupid easy. That's and what I've heard. I haven't gotten past the crazy stupid easy part yet. I'm like, oh, this is really easy. But I keep keep hearing like 10 hours in, it gets, it gets nuts. Yeah, so I, I just hit that point where I was like, oh, here's the game. When all of a sudden, I went from mission, I don't know what it is, 14 to mission 15 or wherever it is, you know, sort of sort of the nine, 10 hour zone. 
the difficulty level spiked so dramatically that I had to learn how to play the game all over again. Wow. Um, like five new enemy types and people who could one shot kill you if you didn't dodge them. And wow. like, it just all of a sudden I was like, Oh, hold on. Because in the initial sort of run up, which is really just this big extended tutorial, you can basically just not build a fort around the objectives and just shoot everybody or right. better yet run around and stab them in the back with a sword, which is my favorite way of playing the game. And that's really fun. So that's that you get rewarded for doing that. Like the, it's an epic game. The shooting is super tight and really fun. All the weapons feel really different and interesting. Um, and so that's, that's fun by itself. You don't have to build a fort, but when you sort of get over this difficulty ramp, holy cats, all of a sudden you have to really think about it. Hmm. That does sound cool. I, I should play more of it. But I mean, I'm, I'm kind of having fun just being OP. You know, it's, it's kind of fun just laying waste to these hordes of husks <laughs> and the husks themselves. You know, we've seen millions of zombies in, in games and zombie types and they're basically zombies, but I've never seen this look for them. And it's so disturbing. It, it's kind of cartoonish and, and light it's looking. It's plants versus zombies. It's plants versus zombies, but the, the husks have like, pulled back the human face as a hood and are like have it as a hoodie and it's so the concept to me has just got under my skin and is so disturbing to me <laughs> there well the whole world is incredibly disturbing but then they put this cartoon layer over it but i mean yeah. it's you are one of the two percent that's left everybody's just gone they're not lying around dead rotting everybody's just gone you're trying to save these sort of survivors who are constantly on the verge of death and you've got these incredibly disturbing creatures that are like throwing human heads flying through the sky at you i mean it's, yeah. if this was done in a realistic manner this would be a rated m game for sure yeah it's it's very disturbing but light and fun and you're like playing in this kind of dreamworks animated movie thing uh but yeah i, I like it you, you're are you, you're gonna keep with it and stay play more and you're in yeah i i am it's like to me this actually scratches my mmo itch more than mm. anything else because there is this sense of persistence there's a lot of systems optimization going on which tends to be the 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 loop i like in playing wow like when i was most hooked into wow it was all about you know getting my gear just right and all that kind of stuff figuring out my you know my face role for whatever character i was on um so like i enjoy that and i haven't done that in a really long time so um, I play, I play lots of shooters. I play lots of MOBAs. This is a very different part of my brain that gets engaged. So for the moment, this is filling my MMO itch more than anything else. That's interesting. I've, we should talk a little bit about the, um, business model for this game. Cause it's so odd. It's a paid early access. So it's like, there's a lot of different price points you can buy in at, including some very expensive ones, I but I think 40 is the lowest at this yeah, point. I think it's 40, but the game is going to be a free to play game. So you don't ever have to buy it if you can just be patient. Is it for sure going to be a free-to-play game? Has That's that my understanding, but I, okay. I could be wrong. So you're buying these founders packs, basically, is what you pay money for right now. And right. Um, I should, I should, uh, you know, full disclosure, I got a key to the like the lowest founders pack thing, so I so haven't put I. any money yeah. into it right now. Um, but yeah, it is sort of a weird free-to-play model, which is why I think there's so many weird systems going on, because then it encourages you to drop money to open more llamas and stuff. I we, I think you also yeah. have to give a shout out to the voice acting in this. For that's a game good. that's supposedly early access, you have a you have a sort of computer companion that talks to you all the time in between missions and during missions, and there's lots of these survivors that are voice acted and have interactions with you. 
and the the llamas, which are the core loot mechanic, when you bash a llama pinata open, they want to they're they're there to serve. They want you to beat them up and open them up so you can take the loot that's inside them. And they're all brilliantly acted and yeah. very funny. It is very. They like give you an axe or something, and you can smash this pinata. It's it's right. it's pretty. I mean it. It's that crazy psychological thing of like I just want to open more things, which is a little weird, but um, but it is charming and funny. Uh, in the chat, uh, Rissen says, uh, yes, it's for sure free to play in 2018, but they haven't said exactly when. Okay. So, um, there's that, but yeah, I mean, I, I dig it. It's, it's really cool. It's a, it's strange that for a game that's been in development for so long, it's almost exactly the game I thought it was going to be six years ago when it was announced. See, I'd you know? forgotten about it entirely. I remember them announcing it and then I was like, oh, here's a key. Huh? I mean, I, I paid no attention. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it was announced right around the time that Minecraft was just kind of conquering the world of video games. And I kept saying, oh, man, why aren't there a bunch of knockoffs of Minecraft? And then Epic announced this. I'm like, oh, here we go. This is what we're going to see a bunch of games like this. And then, you know, it went radio silent for like five years. So um, it, I was it was always in the back of my hand of like, what, is, what happened to Fortnite? Um, so I'm glad to see it, it turned out well. Usually when these things go away for that long, they kind of are problem childs you know, children but uh <laughs> fortnite actually turned out pretty good uh what else have you been playing uh well i've been playing a little bit of anti-hero which is uh i i think you've talked about that before um so we don't need to belabor that but i i've been playing some multiplayer on that i've really been enjoying it i don't quite have it fully grokked yet i don't have I, I can't just con continuously win uh which is it was just fun i've really been enjoying the challenge of that um, and you know, then, uh, you know, I continue to play tons of League of Legends. I can't, can't not do that. Um, update me on what's going on with League of Legends. Cause I saw a bunch of posts this morning of like League of Legends is good again. They fixed a thing. I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not deep enough to understand what's going yeah, on. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I am, despite the amount that I play and I play mostly with my son sort of duo Q ranked, uh, two of us in a, in ranked games. Um, I don't keep up wicked hard on the meta. I play, I don't know, six, seven games a week, maybe. So it's not like a deep addiction. Um, and I play mostly for that experience of just playing with my son and, and having some stuff to kick around. They have, uh, you know, every season, there's a whole bunch of new things that they do. They've fixed a lot of core, um, sort of overpowered champion stuff. They've made the meta a little more interesting by balancing out, uh, sort of roles there. I think my experience is that league is currently in a position where there are more weird things that you can actually get away with at the, the sort of quasi competitive level that I'm at than ever before. Meaning you can take a champion who shouldn't be in the mid lane and run him in the mid lane and, and screw things up for everybody. And that's fun, right? As opposed to being locked into the meta of only play the, these three characters here and only play those two characters down on the bottom. Um, they also changed the way you um, do picks and bans, which makes it a lot more interesting where you sort of declare a character right up front. So your own team won't ban you out, which used to happen oh, all the time. Um, and you're also you're also recruiting into a lane. So when you come in to play mid, you know, you're playing mid. You're not going to have to like say, oh, I typed it first. So I get to right. play mid right, or anything like that. Um, so th th all that stuff, which used to be super frustrating, got pushed out of the way. And that Just seems more like, to have made the whole world a little less toxic. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's, it's, it's sort of like, uh, in WoW, a queuing for a specific role in a, in a raid group, right? Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what it's like. You say, look, I'm just going to be heals here, right? But it's here. It's like, no, I'm going to be support. 
um, or no, I'm going to be mid, and you know that you'll come in mid, and you know I have a chance to declare what character you want to play mid, and there's still a chance they might get banned by the enemy team, but right. you, you have a certainty that you're at least going to be the lane that you wanted to play, and that you'll probably get at least your second choice character to play. Cool. Very cool. Uh, Christian, let's talk Destiny 2 beta. I'm excited. Yeah. I, I played a bunch of it. I played through the uh, single-player bit three times, once with each of the classes. Nice. But I, didn't, I didn't really dip into anything beyond that. Uh, and I know they just added up the added added the farm as a playable area yesterday, I think. I didn't I didn't check that out. So what have you been playing with the Destiny 2 beta as somebody who's much bigger Destiny fan than I am? So yeah, I did the uh Homecoming, the single player campaign. I actually I have a a video on my YouTube which is just Christian Spicer 713 for why just that little single player or campaign level has me excited for the campaign in Destiny 2 and what it can be, like the hints and the story teases and story beats that are shown in there and how it's different than what was in Destiny 1 or Taken King and how they presented story has me very optimistic for Bungie having learned from Destiny 1 and Taken King and kind of how they're going to tell story in this. So hopefully, you know, all that stuff in that homecoming level uh, pans out and it's not just like unpaid off story details. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot to like in that. It's a relatively brief mission, but I think it... Um, you know, not repeating what I say there because that's me talking for 15 minutes. Um, I, I think it's a really strong opener to the game and to the level where they're kind of doing that Metroid approach where you start off with all of your powers and you get to play super powerful for a little bit before we now know that you're going to lose them and start over and kind of rebuild your character and respec as you as you go. But I think it's it's strong. I think it's beautiful. It shows a bunch of different environments. Um, I know some of the hardcore Destiny fans aren't as happy with you know, like the two primary gun loadout and they think the movement feels a little different. More of those complaints are being aired in the PVP than necessarily in the campaign mission. But I really loved it. I, I liked the... So before we talk about... We'll start with just say, say compartmentalized. How did you feel about that story mission for someone that... Yeah, I know story is kind of what kept you out of Destiny 1. You felt it yeah. didn't feel connected enough. No, I I, uh, I came away... Like I said, I played it three times. I came away really impressed. I'm like, man, Bunchy just knows how to make a shooter feel good. And yeah, it felt like there was more stuff happening. I didn't, wasn't just running up to a thing and pushing a button and waiting for the enemies to come, which I felt like a lot of vanilla Destiny was. Um, I was much more engaged. Hearing Nathan Fillion talk to me, super fun. The enemy types were super fun. I just felt awesome. And then, you know, I, I recorded a newest, latest, best about it. I'm like, oh man, this, this is so awesome. The PVE stuff in, in Destiny 2, so awesome. I love the, the beta. And then, uh, of course, all the stuff I read online is how everybody who loves Destiny thinks the PVE stuff is is broken. And um, well, that's so that's not quite. I mean, well, they had what well, didn't um, it has a strike as well, which is a kind of a more traditional PVE approach than what I think this homecoming mission is, which is more story or campaign content. Hmm. And so you can grind through those certainly as well. But it's not necessarily the same type of thing that you would be playing over and over the same way as in-game stuff as strikes and raids would be in the full game when it comes out. Right. Um, and it's hard they because say that like everything's different. Don't 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 worry, guys. We everything's this is an old build. It's months old, and this every, the games the, all the PV stuff is different. Drops for ammo is all different. It's all different. So it's like, well, then why did you put out thing that you're not doesn't represent what the game is like? <laughs> 
that's a two prong question. I think the it it does feel like an old build. It feels like exactly like what we played at the reveal event whenever that was, you know, before E3. It's the same strike, it's the same PVP and uh homecoming. I think we have a little bit more than what I was we were able to play uh at that event in terms of that first level. I think it ended when you get to the first door after Ray takes down the ship and goes to look for the watcher the speaker mm-hmm. um i think is where that ended at the event but it does feel like that same that same build and that same game like nothing felt drastically different to me um i think the reason you put it out is to get new fans interested in the game and to do as julian mentioned a, a somewhat of a stress test on servers and see they rolled it out to you know it was pre-orders and if you have playstation 4 first they kind of limited the play pool and then they expanded it as as the weekend went on um, so I think that was part of it. And then it's hard because, you know, Destiny is a game that is a financial success, right? It, it is a big hit. It is a much maligned game, though. And I think for a game as big of a hit as it is, I think it's user base and the internet at large talks more crap about it than other games equally as successful. People certainly, you know, complain about updates to heroes or league or overwatch, you know, I can't believe you nerfed my favorite character and the game's ruined, but I feel like so much of the community around destiny, um, people are talking about how they hate it, but people are playing thousands and thousands of hours of it. So there's this weird <laughs> disconnect, right? Like I the think online discussion, the internet, <laughs> perhaps but i think destiny has a a bigger proportion of that disconnect but part of that might be uh destiny and overwatch are the two scenes that i'm the most involved in on the internet and so i i think i see more of it for destiny um and so they have announced that the, the things are going to be tweaked and changed as they're going forward and they've learned from this whatever whatever but i think in terms of getting new players in it's that difficult balance of you know appeasing these fans that have spent thousands and thousands of hours but then also making it a little more approachable for someone that wants to come in and doesn't quite understand okay they're specking this way the super does this they got a, this cooldown is this and they just want to run and gun it and have fun and i think destiny uh bungie's trying to walk that that tightrope but i i left this beta very optimistic for the game i don't think pvp is going to pull me away from overwatch i still think that's my my go-to pvp you know online air quote shooter game that has me has its hooks into me but i thought the strike oh so the homecoming that video is 15 minutes or whatever of me saying well i'm hyped for the, the campaign um and then the the strike um it's, it's, it plays really well um, compared to some of the early first Destiny 1 vanilla strikes. I think that this is, is paced better, the strike that was available in the beta, the way you kind of progress. I think you see different environments in a fun way. It goes from a broad play space into a narrow play space, back out into a broad. And then the boss fight has levels that shift and change, and the strategy needs to change as you, as you fight the boss. His weapon changes. The enemies that he spawns in change. Your standard flank and cover positions change. Um, I, I thought it was really engaging, but I also understand why if you spent thousands of hours with the game and all of a sudden they drastically change the uh, cooldown um, for your grenade and for your yeah, super, how that affects how you play the game. I totally understand being upset at that. But again, they said, oh, that's not gonna how it's going to be in the final game. We already changed that. Don't judge it by right. the thing we released for you to judge. Um in the chat, Global Reset says, uh, I have 2,000 hours logged into Destiny 1, and I love what I see coming for the sequel. So not everybody is is cantankerous about it. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I came away thinking, first of all, it just looked gorgeous, man. So much oh, going looks on. good, right? It really does. It's, it's an amazing just piece of 
uh, sci-fi visualization, you know, just like how much stuff is going on and all the cool effects that are happening, stuff splintering and, and sparking and all. It's just amazing. And uh, playing it on PS4 Pro, I, I really feel like the frame rate was really high. It was awesome. 30. It's 30. Is it 30? <laughs> it's well, 30. I guess I just don't know how to judge anymore. Yeah. It's 30. Yeah, it's capped. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I I dug it. I think there's a lot to be excited about. But again, I'm not, you know, I, I'm the least qualified person to speak about the game. Although, hopefully, you know, hopefully it gets its hooks into me. I'd, I'd like to play more my, of it. Yeah, my hope is that the campaign kind of progresses in a somewhat little more linear fashion so that you can get involved. They already do a good job naming characters, telling you characters, who you're, why you're invested in characters. Um, they talk about... I think they present mixed motivations for different characters um, and all that stuff. So I, I'm hopeful that that builds and that that would get your hooks into you. And then playing through that campaign, your um, guardian would be a high enough level that when I see you online, I can be like, hey, let's play this strike. And you're yeah. you're able to jump in with me and play. And then it's that it's those it's those baby steps. Right. So <laughs> that's the plan. Uh, what else have you been playing? Oh, man. So uh, Julian mentioned the 8-Bito. I say 8-Bito, 8-Bito, those controllers. I've had the SNES one for a while now, and then I got a second. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I have a Retron 5 that they are compatible with, but for whatever reason, I've had the hardest time getting mine to um, sync to it. I think it's a problem with the Bluetooth on my Retron um, because my controllers work with everything else. But... 8 also makes a wireless receiver that you can plug in. They're different for different consoles, but they make an SNES one. They also make ones for the NES Classic. So you can plug in a wireless receiver and then use those 8 controllers and not be tethered by the you know four-inch cord that the NES Classic came with. Anyway, I bought those adapters, the SNES ones, plugged it into my Retron 5. I now have these beautiful retro controllers working with my Retron. So I've really been diving back into my um, retro collection. And my girls are both really into Aladdin at the moment, the Disney movie. I think the they were even, my four and a half year old was talking to me that she's happy that the the live action movies found its cast. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, on the casting news. I, I, she must have overheard my wife and I talking about it, but she was like, it's just one of those things where it's like kids say the darndest things. I was, <laughs> we were like listening to the soundtrack in the car and she goes, daddy, I am excited that the live action one has its cast. And I, my wife and I look at each other like, huh? And she's like, that just means it's going to get made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've been playing Aladdin on Genesis, which is my, uh, the Super NES one's great too, but I like the apples. Um, I like having a, a projectile. And oh man, the retro bugs got me bad now. That game is so good. Those Capcom, Disney, I know they did the Saturday morning collection that had DuckTales and some of those other games, but like Aladdin and Lion King and some of those platformers that were coming out back in the day. Oh, and this wireless with the 8 bito controller is just, I got one level away from beating Aladdin. So does it have delay? None that I could detect. Is Aladdin Mega Man 2? No, it's not as precise, but it's still a pretty precise, you know, you're watching your animations as you're doing some of the platforming, um, 2D platformer. And now, now my sickness is I'm trying to track down um, a non-reproduction version of the Genesis Capcom Punisher 
game. <laughs> those are expensive, you guys. You're deeply hooked. <laughs> How is the Retron Five? I mean, I've I've seen those and it seemed really interesting, particularly because it lets you it lets you play like Game Boy Advance games and stuff too, right? Right. Yeah. I I really like it. Um, occasionally you'll put in a game that it it says it's incompatible. You can still play it, but you might have some glitches. It is emulating the games. It's taking you plug in the cart, but then it kind of dumps the ROM um onto the you know, uh, okay. into the console itself so it's not it's not perfect like some of the other versions that are um out there that are actually like recreating or rebuilding the console but for the amount of retro playing that i do it works really really well and the fact that it's genesis super nintendo nes and gba and that i can use my 8 SNES. Uh, controller with it and kind of sit back on the couch and play and you can turn on scan lines you can create custom save points so all of those things it's hdmi out you know it's super easy to connect all of those things the conveniences make it worth the while for me versus you know modding or tracking down original hardware or reproduced hardware that actually plays yeah, the games i think it's so so weird is like i have a lot of the original hardware it's sitting on shelves carefully displayed but it's just simply the matter of going and actually like oh i feel like playing a super nintendo game let me go get my super nintendo oh wait where did i put the power supply you know all that stuff well then connecting it the hassle you have to mod it to get an hdmi or and those are kind of expensive to find that you know handcrafted (laughs) it's not a huge demand for that so those cables are usually pretty expensive or you're keeping your 800 pound crt tv around (laughs) somewhere just to set these things yeah, up. I have, and that a, takes I have up an adapter so box space. that lets me plug RCA and all that stuff in. Oh, nice. But 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 even then, it's like because I have four or five of them. Like the one I want to play is always the one that's not currently plugged in, and I don't have like <laughs> you know I don't have a, a sixteen you know story entertainment system where I can keep everything plugged into some giant switch, which I've seen people do. But yeah, been inter- that's interesting. Yeah, I like it. It certainly isn't. It's not perfect, but for the amount of playing I do, it's it's uh, it's it's great. And Aladdin, man, on the Genesis, that game. So go back and play some of those games. It takes like a minute to get reengaged with that style of game. I think it's easy for us to turn on and be like, well, it's harder or this isn't. But just just play a level, and then you get back in the rhythm. Oh, I'm getting nostalgic, you guys. It's so good. <laughs> now, if I'd only made one that you could put Atari carts in too, I'd be completely sold. <laughs> oh, God, started. Um. My playlist is, has been very full. There's been, I've been playing a lot of stuff and you should, hopefully you're listening to my other, uh, daily gaming podcast, newest, latest, best, uh, which you can find on uh, iTunes and Google play music, uh, to hear me talk at, in more detail about some of that stuff. But I want, I want to mention because we were kind of talking about retro games, fire pro wrestling world is available on steam. Now it's uh, early access game technically, but, um, very polished. I think they're going to add a lot more features to it, but it's already a pretty cool thing. If you don't know about the Fire Pro Wrestling series, it's been around since the 80s, and it kind of is still in the style of those 80s wrestling games like uh, WWF WrestleFest, if you played that game in the arcades where you could play as a big boss man and Hulk Hogan, and it's a 2D sprites in a, in a ring, and you're you know getting into grapples and throwing people across the ropes and stuff. It's that, but done with a modern sensibility. It's still sprite-based. It's still that 2D plane in a 3D sort of, you know, you can walk down at an angle or whatever, but you're always a 2D sprite. Uh, But it's got an incredibly uh, feature-rich character creation suite 
and you can com- create pretty much anybody. In fact, the uh, in the short time that the game has been out, the the community has created pretty much every wrestler that's ever existed ever. Um, it has Steamworks, right? So you can kind of exactly. add other people's creations and yeah. and like unlicensed stuff, right? So you can make Rambo and whatever. Yeah, oh, nice. yeah there's everything. I mean, it is it's amazing that the creativity that people have shown already, and the game is really fun. I would put it on to play for you know just a match or two and end up playing much longer than I thought because it really gets the idea of professional wrestling in the sense that it's not just about who wins or loses. I I think a lot of those old games were just sort of glorified fighting games and you're trying to just beat your opponent and you're still trying to win here too. But at the end of the match, you're given a rating on how cool the match was. And so just like a professional wrestler is trying to put on a show you kind of get that in your head too. Like I'm going to actually make a really interesting varied uh, narrative here in the ring with ups and downs and dramatic twists. And it's a blast, man. It's a really fun game. If you love those old kind of wrestling games, fire pro wrestling world takes it to the next level. It's crazy customizable. There's cage matches and uh, barbed wire matches. It's just everything you can think of. And I'm such a professional wrestling nerd. Uh, it really scratched a cool itch for me, so I recommend it. Cool. All right, let's move on. I want to get to uh, some other segments, but first I want to thank another new sponsor, Jet.com. What is Jet? J-E-T, Jet? It is a online shopping site that makes it easy to save money on the stuff you buy all the time. So the way this works, it's almost like a video game in and of itself. Jet.com, you put... Uh, something in your in your cart and then there are other things on the site that actually by putting them in your cart as well lowers the price of all the stuff that's in your cart already so you like get into this crazy um you know uh, this crazy game of finding the thing you need but finding the the one that has the cool icon next to it that lowers the price of all the other stuff in your cart it's cool they have free shipping on orders over $35 uh free returns within 30 days uh, two day delivery on thousands of everyday essentials. So what I use this for, I actually, um, checked it out and, and bought some stuff that I just like everyday needs like toilet paper and, uh, laundry detergent and, uh, soap and shampoo and stuff like that. And it's so easy that it keeps this sort of, um, running tally of things that you've bought before. So it's easy to reorder them. It makes Shopping from your couch, way less stress, stressful, but it's also fun because the prices are low and they have uh, cool ways to save extra money by sort of like comboing. You're like doing, you're doing like a fighting game combo to, uh, to lower the prices on, on the stuff that's in, in your shopping cart. No membership fee, which sets it apart from its competition. You don't have to ever pay a membership fee to get the low prices or the free shipping. And, uh, it, it, we're going to give you a really, really cool offer because you listen to this show. So when you visit jet.com, jet.com, enter promo code DLC at checkout and you will get two orders, not one, but two orders. Your first two orders over $35, you'll get 20% off. That's pretty awesome. So $35 is the threshold to get free shipping. So you kind of want to do that anyway. First two orders over 35 bucks, 20% off just because you use the promo code DLC. That's pretty awesome. It says terms and conditions apply. See jet.com for details. Jet.com, easy way to, to shop, easy way to get the essentials in your life, and an easy way to save more money than you would buying any other way. 
Time to talk a little ver. And I know that you've been playing some Ver, Julian. Um, what, what do you got? Indeed. Well, I, I was playing a bunch of Farpoint, um, which is fun, but it's really kind of a mediocre game, but a really cool tech demo. And so, I, I you know, as fun as it is to grab that virtual gun and shoot things, uh, and they patched it recently and made it even better. Um, so you don't have to quite you know, go through this contortion to shoot down sights as much as you used to. Uh, and a little bit of the, the gun bob has gone away. So it's gotten even better, uh, since launch, but there's just not that much game there. It's just, it's really just, uh, you know, shoot, shoot, shoot. That's about it. So I kind of faded out on that, but then super hot VR came out on PSVR, which oh, I had yeah. not played before. I had not played it when it wasn't a VR game, the original super hot. I had missed it. Uh, it just sort of had gone by me and, uh, I don't have, uh, I was, is the other one Rift only the original super hot VR, I think. Uh, I think so. I think it was, maybe it's available on Vive as well. It might be on everything at this point, but yeah, it, I, I, think, I think it originally think hit. It probably Rift. is, but, um, holy crap is this game <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I heard you talk about it. I heard John Andrich talk about it. Um, so I expected it to be the case, but, I did not expect this game to make me feel as much like a badass as it does. Uh, yeah. It is, it is just a pure badass simulator. And mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure out what it is about it. I mean, there's definitely the sort of the stylized violence of it is really satisfying, but it's entirely the, it's not the, the time slowing mechanic, which is what gets all the hype where time only moves if you move or if you fire a gun, it moves a little faster. It's actually the edge of tomorrow factor where you, you fail because you didn't realize there were guys behind you or whatever. And so by going through this loop over and over again, uh, you know, a, a, a stage that maybe took you a minute or two to figure out the first time you're doing in three seconds because you just know exactly what's going to happen when. And so you go into this level that looks impossible. And you just like grab a gun, throw a bottle, catch a gun out of the air, turn around, duck and shoot underneath your elbow behind you. And, and this thing that was once an insurmountable challenge is now like Tom Cruise in the edge of tomorrow after he's learned a level and he's not even thinking about it anymore. And you're just like, holy crap. Yeah. And it's so, oh my God, it's so so good. Having not played it on PSVR, but kind of knowing that those text limitations versus a Vive or an Oculus setup in terms of like hand tracking, how how do you feel the move controllers work in terms of responsiveness? Have you caught a bullet yet? Like, are you able to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It feels... Uh, completely one to one. The only thing, you know, because the, the, you know, the PSVR setup is not truly room scale. Um, and you don't have things in the corners and all that stuff. Um, it's limited to sort of what the camera can see mm-hmm. to, to be your, your tracking. And so the room that I have the setup in, I'm about 10 feet from the camera. Uh, and what that means is, uh, it, for, in order for me to, to be able to, for it to be able to see over my head, if I hold something over my head, um, what's on the ground is just out of camera view. And, and there's been one or two cases where I've wanted to pick something up off the ground and I've squatted down to grab it and right at the edge of the, you know, it, I basically can't get it because it's just beyond my reach. Um, so I could adjust that a little bit so that I could get stuff off the ground, but then, 
there are other games I play, like the racquetball game, where I want to be able to get completely over my head and still be in view. Um, I will say it made me long for a 20 by 20 room and a wireless system because <laughs> even even with the PS4's limited capability – you can move like, you know, seven feet from your starting location, get behind people and kidney punch them. And right. that's a really satisfying thing to do. Um, I was playing solo all night yesterday about, and I didn't have a minder. You know, yeah, you always need a VR minder for a big room scale game. Uh, so I was reluctant to go too far because I'd run into stuff. But even then, it's definitely not a game you just play standing still. Well, it's, but it's the perfect game for being a little tentative because. The game's not moving unless you're moving. So you're like, okay, well, I can make sure the wall's not here. Okay, all right, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I love it. I'm so glad that, that Superhot works well on PSVR because it really is one of those great VR experiences. It's kind of strange that the game was ever not in VR because it seems like it's so perfect for that medium. It's amazing. Yeah, dodging bullets, like ducking bullets, or or even better when bullets smash each other in midair. Um, is yeah. one of the most satisfying experiences or you grab, like I, I had bullets ricocheting off my knife blade. I mean, right. it's just so satisfying. Yeah. And, uh, and, and because the PSVR experience here is, is a little bit lower res than some of the competitors, this super stylized, naturally polygonal environment is perfect, right? I can't imagine it looks really any different on any other system because it's, it's, you know, there's not a lot of complex textures being rendered here. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm about to go a little nuts, uh, guys, uh, because I think I might have a new game of the year. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Lone Echo, which just was released on Oculus. It's Oculus exclusive for now. It's the new game by Ready at Dawn. Ready at Dawn are the guys that did The Order 1886, which I think Christian and I both – you agree, right, Christian? We both think it's – um. Very underrated. It got a lot of heat when it first came out, but I actually really dug that game. I thought it was very high quality. Yeah, and I've liked their, uh, was it PSP or Vita games as well? I think they're a quality studio. Well, they knocked it out of the park. I think this is, for me, the best VR game I've ever played. Wow. And I've played almost all of them. And I was just going crazy last week about uh, The Mage's Tale, which I think is awesome and sort of was a new high watermark. We're just, we're, it seems like we're just kind of getting now to this new wave of really high quality AAA VR experiences. The developers have had the tech long enough. Games have had enough time to be in production now to create longer experiences, more complete games. And they really understand what makes VR VR and Lone Echo. Okay, I played through all of it this weekend, the single player. There's a multiplayer that I talked about a little bit before called Echo Arena, which is also extraordinary. It's basically Ender's Game done in VR, which is amazing. But the single player for Lone Echo is <laughs> so awesome. And it's more proof, as far as I'm concerned, that VR can do things that regular video games can't. And I love the fact that Ready and Dawn was was bold enough to create a game like this. So basically, what you do in v in Loneka, you play as this robot. You're playing as an AI construct on a space station in the future, and you have a human captain who is there with you, and you are just sort of working in space, doing the things that I always imagine are happening on the International Space Station in real life. You know, filtered through a lens of science fiction because it's in the future and it's a science fiction game, but you're, you are maintaining a space station. You are physically manipulating objects. You have, you're a robot 
So you've got your two hands have a bunch of tools and sensors embedded in them. And you literally reach down with the touch controllers and touch your wrist. And it deploys a sensor that you can scan things with. If you touch the underside of your wrist, it, de- it deploys a uh, uh, like a, a cutting tool. And so you're slicing through things. You're manipulating objects. You're taking th- stuff from one place to another, physically doing it all. And I think – what Ready at Dawn understands that is so fun in VR and with the touch controllers is they've made a a chunky world, a world full of thick, interesting, cool-looking tech that you physically handle and move and there are giant levers that do things and buttons and holographic touch points and everything feels so awesome to do. You don't kill anything. You don't shoot. There's no gun you pick up. There's no – I mean this is the game that – Christian, I hope you remember me talking about I wanted Prey to be. I kept saying, wow, Prey is so cool. This, it, this space station is so interesting and the world is so cool and you're a scientist in this world. And why do I have to constantly be given something every 15 seconds to blast with my gun? It would be so much more fun to remove that horror element and create an interesting world I'm exploring in space and doing stuff. Like I want to do the stuff on a space station that you do. Lone Echo is that game. And then it gets crazy. And I won't spoil anything that happens, but it gets so crazy and so awesome. (laughs) The sense of space and scale and the things you're doing, there are so many cool little touches, little – details that they get so right. You are this uh, AI construct. So if something bad happens to you, your consciousness gets downloaded into another uh, robot, into another shell. But the old one stays in the universe and you see, you can like go back and see where you were when you died and what you were doing. It's hilarious. And I haven't even talked about the biggest key point about this game, which is you're doing all of that in zero gravity. So yeah. how you move around is it's not, by it's not nauseating. Off. See, not for me, not once, not even a little bit. Because a drift wrecked me. That's okay. what's been keeping me from this. But a drift you played with a controller, right? Yes. Yes. So I think the main difference here is that you are literally reaching out with your hands and pushing off of a surface. I mean, there are you have also have jets that you can use to control things, and I use them a lot. Um, but I never got nauseated. I will caveat that and say, I have a friend who I recommended this game too highly. He downloaded it and he got nauseated very fast. So your results may vary, but I am tend to be very sensitive to this stuff. And it didn't even, not even a little bit. And I played for long stretches. I played through the whole game in one weekend. I would play for three, four hours at a time. It, wow. it, it didn't bother me. Okay. How long, how long is the campaign? If you had to guess. I would say between six and eight hours. I did, there's a lot of optional stuff I didn't do that I wish I had, but I kind of progressed past it and, you know, didn't. But it's a, you know, it, it feels like a Call of Duty campaign. You know, it's not, yeah. not going to be this massive 30 hour thing, but it's also feels weighty and interesting and it goes to cool places. You, you end up in amazing places. The sense of awe that the game conveys is incredible. But the, the zero gravity movement, first of all, creates such a sense of being in Apollo 13 or gravity or any one of those, or, you know, documentaries about the actual ISS. When you see a a person in space move and, and move in zero gravity, 
that fantasy, that wish fulfillment is delivered in this experience. It is amazing to feel like I am just doing work. I'm spacewalking. I'm out there in zero gravity or I'm inside the space station and I have to repair a robot. So I like pull out its arm and I'm attaching its arm and, oh, I, I kind of pushed off in a weird way and the arm went shooting off into space. And so I have to like push off to go grab it and, and, and before it goes too far away and, and grab it and then turn around and, and jet myself back to what I was doing. All of that might sound really mundane and ridiculous, but it is so fun. It is so fun. And there's like little puzzles and little things to figure out as you're sort of just doing tasks. You're like, your worker bot and and it's fun it's fun to be accomplishing things in a zero gravity environment because you're physically doing it i mean the game is a little bit of simon says at the beginning cuz it's basically like this 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 real human being that you're dealing with that you actually create a wonderful relationship with over the course of the game and by the end there's some incredible stuff that happens with that relationship but that person's kind of telling you what to do. And so it's a little Simon says he, but it didn't bother me because it gives you enough things to figure out on your own. That it's like, Oh, you have to accomplish this, but you got to figure out how to do it. And, and just the process of doing it is so just viscerally fun. It's just, it just feels good to reach out and grab something and turn it and manipulate it. I love this game. Family when uh, space travel becomes real, because you're going to, become hello my name is joe i work at the button factory but in space right you'll be you'll be like sorry babe sorry son <laughs> off to clean up space <laughs> dude I, I i text christian over the weekend and said i'm gonna buy you a copy of this game because i want you to play it so bad i, I would it would be heartbroken if you do feel nausea That's, yeah I, thank you for that offer uh hopefully maybe i can still play it at your place on thursday um i that i really wish that everything had refunds. I, I would have bought this, you know, minute zero if I would have played it for an hour and been like, oh, I'm going to throw up. I can't play this. And it just, it really bums me out that for something like VR, where th- there's a proven history of people having different tolerances for different games, um, that that's not an option because... Well, yeah, like I said, my buddy, my buddy was like all excited. He bought it and he texted me immediately. He's like, oh man, it, it made me nauseated the first time I moved in, in zero gravity. And I was genuinely shocked because I tend to be really, really uh, sensitive to that stuff. And it didn't, not even for a minute, not even for a second did I have that. And I was so, I was like, oh my God, this game really figured it out. Like pushing off and seeing your arms and having me control it. And I would push off from one direction and look another, you know, all of the things that are big no-nos in VR when you're moving, I was able to do, I was able to do such sophisticated, crazy movements at, by the end of this game. And so much of the last half of this game is all about how you move and being able to move with dexterity in such a cool way uh, that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm shocked. I was genuinely shocked that he had that problem. So I can't say that it won't affect anybody because it, it affected my friend, but I thought based on my own experience that they had sort of just cracked the nut on it. So global reset did mention in the chat that currently echo arena is free to play. How representative of that is the game? If I played that and I didn't feel nauseous in that, is that a yes. good test? No, echo arena is that times, you know, it was just much more frenetic because you're playing basically a game of uh weightless 3d soccer or uh, lacrosse. What you're doing is trying to throw a, a disc into a goal in your enemy team and everybody's weightless. It's basically Ender's game, the training sessions that they yeah. do. If you're familiar with that book, um, 
And so you're flinging yourself around, you're pushing off of other players and off, off of the environment and using your jets. So definitely check that out. And it is free. They said that they made that a standalone module and it is free for all Oculus Touch owners. Check it out. Make sure – because there's like even a training session before that where you get a, a sense of how you move and maybe that will be a good test. Yeah. But, but the game itself isn't even as frenetic as that because that's like, oh my god, there goes the thing. I got to get it and push off a guy. Push a guy. This is much more – you know um, – much more intentional and, and much, you're doing a job and you got to go move around the space station. And dude, it is so Jeff, do you just awesome. need a nine to five. I just keep hearing that you have a job to do. Are you just stuck at home <laughs> with the baby? Like the, I can, I'll call up enterprise and see yeah. if they're hiring. You know, I've got uh, some the, friends the there. Job, the job <laughs> that you do in the space station. Haven't you ever fantasized about doing a spacewalk and like fixing the telescope on the outside of the thing? Like, haven't you ever fantasized about that? You know, you see the International Space Station and they're, you know, the like, or, or Tom Hanks, you know, you know what it is? You know what it is? In Apollo 13, my favorite scene in that whole movie is when the, the geeks in the space office on, on, in NASA on Earth have figured out how to do a thing and they have a, a very specific instruction set and they relay it to Tom Hanks and Gary Sinise in the space and they're like trying to follow the step-by-step instructions in, in zero gravity. That's this game. That's what you do. You're like following the instructions, but saying it like that makes it sound boring, but it's amazing. I would say it's like ma- my, my VR power fantasy is me coming up as Superman and saving you in the space station. And yours <laughs> is doing the duct tape before I have to come up and save you. <laughs> but dude, when the game goes to really cool places, you end up doing very heroic things and the stakes get way, way bigger. And the story itself is super cool, but it's proof, especially in VR that you can make a game where you don't have to murder anything that you it's, there are a ton of VR games where you, you shoot stuff. And I like those. I like Farpoint. I, there's a million of those great shooting games, but the fact that Ready at Dawn decided they were going to create a game where what you do is build and fix and and it's still just as compelling and and there are moments of great drama and moments of tension and they've managed to find all that within the constraints of making something that's very different from what we expect from a video game. I just I, – I applaud them. I, I'm trying to get an interview with Rue. He's been on the show before. Um the the head of uh, Ready at Dawn because I want to talk to them about this because it's such a bold even idea for a game. I, I just – I can't believe they pulled it off with so well. It is super AAA as far – I mean the, one of the best-looking VR games I've ever played. It's great. That's awesome. I'm sold. I just don't have the system for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope it, it it eventually gets to everything, but it is an Oculus Studios uh, produced game, so I don't know. Uh, okay, that's enough of me gushing about VR. Let's have me gush about board games now. Little <laughs> 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 tabletop time. Right now, right now. By the way, Christian, I am serious that I I spent way more time than I should have. Literally going, is this better than Horizon Zero Dawn? Is this my game? Is this my game of the year? <laughs> Here's the deal. Get me a copy, uh, a non-repro, good condition copy of Punisher on Genesis, and I'll buy uh, Echo, whatever, Lone Echo myself. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's-
It's a good deal for me. Anyway, uh, Julian, one of the reasons I love having you on the show is because you play lots of tabletop stuff. I do. What are you into lately? Well, we had uh, the 21st annual Ravicon, which is our little local house con, uh, just just a couple weeks ago. So uh, it's been a heavy board game rotation period for me. Um, Honestly, the thing that I've been most intrigued by are uh, a, a raft of what I guess is a genre now of exit room games, which are sort of collaborative puzzle solving games that use the shtick of being in a, in an escape room, uh, in various ways. Um, I, you know, I, I often have, you know, a mixed group of people over some of whom are not hardcore board gamers. We're going to like wade into a game of war of the ring or side or something like that. And so we're looking for something a little bit more social, but I still want it to be fun and challenging. And so, uh, we played through a series of games, which I think either were nominated for or just one. I think they just won the spiel de jars. Yeah. We talked about um, it last week. The, the the, uh, yeah. yeah, the Exit the Game series, um, which I played two of the three that are published in English right now. Um, they're amazing, uh, and they follow all of the path of a, a good exit room where you've got a little bit of a story. Uh, you have to make some intuitive leaps. You have to do some basic puzzle solving. Um, and and the, the system that they use in that is particularly good in that you can't accidentally stumble onto information you shouldn't have. There, there are no happy accidents, which I think is a key component of that. And uh, I have the, the Cabin in the Woods one left to play, which I'm looking forward to doing soon. Um, because there's so few of them and because they're, they're basically disposable, you know, they're 20 bucks. And, and if you're super careful, you might be able to repackage it for somebody else to use, but you end up getting out the scissors half the time. So they're really not reusable in that sense. Um, I, I've been sort of hankering for other ones. And so I've tried the two big competitors to it. Um, one is a purely card based version called unlock. Uh, which I bought two of and they were both awful. Uh, <laughs> oh, just, no. they're just, they're not fun. The puzzles aren't particularly good. Uh, they're either way too hard requiring just crazy intuitive leaps or they're just super easy and you just plow right through them. So, uh, my experience with both of them was you spend, 20 minutes getting through 12 of the puzzles and then you spend an hour before you give up on one uh and not in a particular not in a boss fight sense and in like a well let's just skip this one and move on uh and it tries to use an app and the app doesn't do anything particularly well uh it's just I, i was super disappointed all the way through i didn't really like them and then i ended up buying a third set of which there are two which is escape the room is the series yeah um and this doesn't come from um a traditional board game publisher at all this comes from think fun and um there are two of these out i played through one of them and it's by far my favorite of all of them oh really because it it's uh it takes everything that's good about the exit series but then it adds physical puzzles so there's actual like physical topogra- topographical puzzles like the kind you get in a you know that are hanging on a british bar hook you know right. where you have to manipulate an object uh to solve a particular puzzle um which are like really engaging they for they force you to do sort of origami on the fly and things and they're much more physical than the exit puzzles which have some physical components to them but for the most 
most part, they're all in your head. Um, and so the escape the room games managed to layer in a lot of that. And also there's a lot more story going on. Um, they're, they're not afraid to, to put a piece of text out there and really have a conversation with you as you're playing the game. So they feel, um, a little bit more like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with some of the super high end, uh, pop-up books from guys like Sabuda and things like that. They feel like if one of those guys designed an exit room game a bit, because there's a lot more going on with the art and with folding and with physical puzzles. So I've just gotten hooked on this genre. I just love it. It's terrible because you spend a bunch of money and you play these things once, but man, they're just super engaging. You know, they're they're all sort of under $20. I think that's pretty good for a group evening activity. I you know, spend more than that going to the movies one night, but, um, I have all three of the exit games. Uh, in fact, I got shipping notification this morning. Um, I ordered them, uh, after the Spiel des Jahres was announced. Uh, so there's three of those exit, the, uh, um, the abandoned cabin, the secret lab and the Pharaoh's tomb. And, uh, I, I was very excited about that, but this is the first time I'm hearing about escape the room. And the fact that you said, uh, escape the room is even better. Which one of the escape the rooms did you play? We did the secret of Dr. Gravely's retreat. Yeah. Um, which, here, which, yeah. and I have the other one sitting sealed. Um, I will say Stargazer's to their Stargazer's manor. <laughs> yeah. Stargazer's manor. Yeah. To their credit, the, the, I think partially because they don't come from a traditional board game company, the escape the room games come with instructions on how to reset them oh, for the next person who wants to play them. So they're deliberately designed to be non-destructive. Um, now you could get carried away and rip some stuff, but it is not intended that you have to cut or destroy anything that's in them, which is definitely not the case in the exit games. Right. Um, you'd have to, you'd have to go through some shenanigans to not destroy some of the stuff in the exit games. Christian, we're going to do one of these. Uh, I have, I have three of the exit games en route to me. So, uh, we, we got to do a night and we'll, we'll come up with a group, um, can't have Rob because he just had a, a new baby. Yeah. Happy birthday, baby daughter, Rob. Crackle, yeah. baby girl, crackle, crackle baby girl. Starting yeah. with the lab. That would be the one I would start with. I heard that a, a abandoned cabin is the best one. Is that – you haven't played that one yet. That's the one that I've been saving. I've heard the same thing. Yeah. Um, we started with – we. I think we started with the Pharaoh's Tomb and then we did the lab. And I think we agreed afterwards that starting with the lab is sort of a better introduction to the mechanics. Okay. Um, and, and a little bit more – it's not – I wouldn't say it's necessarily easier, uh, but I think it's less likely you, you end up at a sort of uh, a, a stumbling block where nobody gets the next idea. I right? heard the lab was a little mathy. Uh, it is, there's, it's a little mathy, but I, but for my nerd group, that meant that there was always somebody who was figuring something out. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I have just added, uh, escape the room secret of Dr. Gravely's retreat to my, to my Amazon cart. So I will, I will now, now I'm excited about that one too. So we'll, we'll make these happen, Christian. I'm going to have a couple of nights of, of doing these escape rooms. Cause I love the actual escape rooms where you go to them, but they're oh, so yeah. expensive and they're hard to kind of organize a group, but uh, escape room in a box, pretty rad. Julian, have you played Ethnos yet? Ethnos? I have not. I have seen it on the table. It looks fascinating. Have you been playing it? I have. I've been playing a lot of it. Actually, it's become a big hit at, around my house. My wife digs it. I uh, played it with some friends. Uh, this is a game from Cool Mini or Not, uh, which is a company that's just been crushing it lately. Uh, Ethnos, I kind of, isn't much to look at. I think the art is a little drab, to be quite honest with you, but the mechanics are so slick and it's such an easy game to teach. This is one of those, I think, um, it reminds me of, um, oh gosh, what is the, uh, what is the 
D and D worker placement game. Uh, Lords of Waterdeep. Lords of Waterdeep. It reminds me of of Lords of Waterdeep in the sense that it it is a genre theme and it's kind of a cool gamers game type uh, look and feel to it. But underneath, it's really a gateway game. It's really a game that you can introduce and teach to people very very quickly. So it's fun for those people that are you know sort of board game curious, but also gamers and want to be dealing with you know uh, fantasy characters, wizards and hobbits and stuff like that. The idea behind Ethnos is that it's an area control game. So there's a map and there's different sections and you're trying to have the most of your tokens in an area to score points. And there's only two things you can do on your turn. A lot like Ticket to Ride, actually, which I think is one of the best gateway games. You can either take a card into your hand on your turn or you can play a group of cards out of your hand in order to place a token on the map. And the cards have uh, – there's races, these fantasy races like uh, giants and skeletons and halflings and all kinds of stuff. There's a whole bunch of them. You play with only a subset of the total number of races in any given game. So each game is going to be a little bit different based on the, the races that are in your current game. And each of those cards also has a color. So – you can play a grouping that is all the same color and different races or all of the same race and different colors. And either one is viable to create a grouping and you have to have more uh, of the cards in your group than you have stacks of your token in a current space in order to get a new token there. But the catch is when you play a group of cards out of your hand, you then have to discard all of the rest of the cards in your hand. So in games like Ticket to Ride, where you're building up your hand and you're trying to get all these cool colors to play sets of them, you tend to – people can play very uh, hoardy. You know, you can hoard a lot of cards and get big, big hands. And this game, you have a very strict hand limit. And also, anytime you play a grouping, even if it's just two cards, all the rest of your cards in your hand are discarded. Not only are they discarded, they're discarded face up to a common area where anybody else can grab them. So you're basically providing options for your team – Anytime you discard cards, which adds a lot of wonderful strategic elements to the game. And that's basically the whole thing. There are special powers that each of the races give you. So when you play a group of cards, um, you select the leader of that group and that leader's special power is activated when you play it and it gives you certain things. You can break the rules in certain ways. And it's very simple. It's very simple. You're, you're just trying to create the biggest stack of, of chips on in different areas to um, get points. But each of the races can add like side rules or side boards that get points in other different ways. So whatever the, the constitution of races in your particular game changes the rules that you're playing with. Very fun. I hope I didn't make it sound too complicated because it's very simple. And uh, and we have been playing a ton of it. It's called Ethnos from Cool Mini or Not. It sounds like it, it, that, that mechanic of sort of – is there a bit of a deck building mechanic to that or are you just always getting new cards? Well, you, you, you can do one of two things on your turn. You can put, grab a card or you can play cards. So it's just but like – out of com just common like decks or you're building your own deck? Uh, you are building your own hand, yeah, but but it's more like Ticket to Ride, right? Where you can just you can pick up a card or you can play cards. So you're not actually building a, a deck that in like a deck building game, but you are building your hand, and then <laughs> once you've built it up, you play cards and then discard all the rest of them. 
It's yeah, really I think you know, Cool Mini or Not is such an interesting company because they they sort of came out of nowhere, sort of as a Kickstarter sensation with with sort of some big, uh, flashy games like Zombicide with a billion pieces, and and they sort of got that reputation for Kickstarters with a billion pieces. Yeah, and. But at the same token, if you actually look at what they've been releasing lately, it's actually been much simpler, smaller games without that production. They make the Bloodborne card game, right. which is great, um, which is a really straightforward card game. Um, they made this, which obviously has gotten you know incredible reviews. I haven't played it yet. Guilds of Cadwallon is another one of theirs that doesn't have any fancy pieces in it. So right. despite the name, they're actually sort of starting to produce some more mainstream stuff. Yeah, and really high quality too. The, the the tokens that you use all sort of interconnect, so you can cool, create these cool st- um, stacks of them. The only downside in the whole game is that I think the art is a little drab, so it doesn't really impress when you pull it out of the box. The, the cover of the box when you pull this out, like, hey, let's play this. People are like, uh, okay, but the game plays so slick and and so easy to teach. Highly recommend it. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. We do have our parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. Also, Christian has his interview with the composer of Farpoint as bonus content. But Julian Murdoch, thank you so much for being here, my friend. Oh, thank you. I'll come talk. You know, we could do uh, we could invert this and we could do uh, you know a good ninety minutes of table talk time and then toss a couple of video games on the end next time. If I you agree. Want. I think that might be more fun, right, Christian? I'm game. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, tell people where they can keep up with your stuff, Julian. Uh, these days, really, the only place you'll find me is over at Gamers with Jobs, um, on the conference call. That's become a bit all consuming. We have a, uh, a, a let, a live play RPG series that we've been doing for a while called Orbital Decay. It's the second one we've been doing, and that one's going to be wrapping soon. And then I'll be on the next one that we have coming up a little later in the fall. So awesome that you guys are doing that. I just think that it's such a cool thing. Uh, It's shocking to me people want to listen, but then I do. So, I mean, (laughs) right. Awesome. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on? Easiest way to get in touch is usually Twitter at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. One of my kids is screaming. If you can't hear it, uh, you can email me, christian.spicer at gmail.com if you ever want to uh, put something in the subject line so it jumps out at me. And then con- hashtag content-wise, Department of Parenting is a podcast I do with Chris Quintos about parenting. We also have a station on Anchor at anchor.fm slash D-O-P. And, uh, yeah, I put out that Destiny 2 campaign video on my YouTube, which you can find at Christian Spicer 713 And if you're listening to this today when it comes out, it's not too late to call your senator and tell them what you think about the health care bill, whether you love what they're doing or you hate what they're doing. Call and let them know. It actually makes a big difference to call. It really, really does. Hear- hearing from their constituents really does make an effect. And uh, hopefully people are keeping up with what's going on right now because it's it's really quite insane. Regardless of where your political affiliations lie, it's insane that there is going to be a vote and no one knows what the bill is. So, uh, I mean, literally no one knows what they're voting for. It's insane. Uh, anyway, so I, I heartily uh, underscore that. Uh, take a step. Call your Call your Congress people, your senators. Um, me, what am I doing? Oh my goodness. I have a daily video game show for you to listen to. In fact, uh, it is every single day, seven days a week, and it's short form, only 10 minutes a day. Pretty cool stuff. It's called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find it at anchor.fm slash NLB or the same place you get this show, 
it's uh, it's a podcast now. It is on uh, iTunes. It's on Google Play. And I hope you give it a chance. Uh, I really, really enjoyed doing it. It's fun. It's a really cool two-way street. People send me call-ins. I answer them. And uh, we talk about all the news that we don't maybe not even have room for in this show. So um, check it out. Also, I have the Slash Filmcast talking about movies and TV shows. You can find that at SlashFilmcast.com. And I do We Have Concerns, a comedy science show, which you can find at WeHaveConcerns.com. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Julian, you have a recommendation for the people that might not be a video game? Uh, sure. I'll, I, I will admit to watching a, uh, a Netflix, I think it's a Netflix show called Glow, hmm. Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Uh, which has effectively nothing to do with gorgeous ladies of wrestling, uh, any more than Breaking Bad has to do with being a chemistry teacher. Uh, and, uh, it is one of these shows that, uh, you know, I only watch because, um, I have a TV critic friend, uh, Emily Newsbaum, uh, who recommended this to me. And I was like, what? Why would I watch this? I mean, I'm a wrestling fan, but this, I, I don't know. I have, I had a problem with it. And, uh, I'm really glad that I started watching it because it's some of the most interesting character development I've seen on screen and a really long time it stars uh one of the women Alice from community Bree. yeah Alison Bree thank you she was the uh, the sort of nerdy one on community uh, and she's phenomenal in it so definitely worth checking out a lot of nerdy ones on community but you're oh, right. you okay <laughs> she's also Mad Men right she was yeah. uh yeah. name's wife, wife I think yeah yeah um, Christian, how about you? You got, you got a Netflix show to recommend as well. Yeah, more Netflix. And I, I feel bad because I feel like this is maybe like a algorithm plug in the numbers the way House of Cards was. Like people like this guy, people like this show, create new show. Um, and it's Ozark, which is Jason Bateman. And it's like, Laura I've Linney. only watched the, f- what? Laura Linney. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, I only watched the first one, but it, it definitely, uh, gets you going. And I feel like what they did with this was like, people like Jason Bateman. He has a darker turn. Laura Lenny's been doing great. Okay. Bloodline is good, but didn't quite hook people fast enough. Blender, blender, blender. Ozark. <laughs> and it's, oh, I don't know where it goes yet, but it starts off really strong. And I think if you liked Bloodline and you like that darker Jason Bateman, uh, I think, I think you'll like it. I also watched the first episode last night of Ozark and it, yeah, it's a heck of a pilot, man. It's a heck of yeah. a first episode. It really goes places fast and it does feel a little bit, you know, it feels like to me is, um, if you jumped into Breaking Bad, like three seasons in, that's where this show starts. It starts, we're but like, you're not left behind. They do that right. the first three seasons in 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. No, but I mean, like where the character is, Breaking Bad, like we took three seasons to sort of get there. And this is like, no, Jason Bateman is already like, three seasons of being into the into bad stuff uh, yeah. but really 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 good I, I dig it i'm excited to watch more of it too um i have a podcast to recommend to you and it's not one of my podcasts although highly recommend those too but um there's a podcast i've been listening to called what can trump teach us about con law which is really a wonderful concept here Regardless, again, regardless of where you stand uh, on the political spectrum, you have to admit that we are in uncharted territory quite often, uh, almost on a daily basis. Uh, this administration is doing things and, and introducing policy and, and saying things that have never been done before. And for good or ill, uh, it is a teachable moment. And I think it's pretty amazing that 
these guys making this podcast recognize that. And it's an actual law professor who actually teaches constitutional law going through the news of the day and using it to relate to constitutional law. Like, okay, this administration did this. What does that tell us? How does the constitution stand on it? Is this constitutional? Is it not? What do we learn? Very short podcast, very useful to me. I'm learning a lot from it. I highly recommend it. What can Trump teach us about con law? We also have a, a listener sent us a, uh, a um, parting gift. This comes from Eric T from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and he has a Netflix original show as well. He says the Netflix original show Samurai Gourmet is pretty much a live action slice of life anime. It's about an elderly man who has just retired from his corporate job that he worked at his entire adult life. And with a sudden abundance of free time, Takeshi Katsumi embarks on a series of mundane everyday adventures that are all centered around some type of food and a certain moral dilemma. The show is light, happy, funny, and very well-made. I guarantee lovers of food porn, anime, and Japanese culture in particular will dig this show. However, I could easily recommend... Is there a comma between food and porn? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to learn. <laughs> uh, no, there isn't. Uh, he said, I could easily <laughs> recommend it to anyone. Hope you all are able to check it out. So again, that's called Samurai Gourmet, and it's on Netflix. If you want to send your own parting gift, you can send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right. Thanks, guys. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to Julian Murdoch and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room who hung out with us in real time and made the show better. We appreciate you guys as well. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. And thanks to all of you that have downloaded this show. Please do take a second, maybe rate us on your platform of choice or recommend us to a friend. It really does help. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. This place is incredible. Watch your suit on those rocks. We don't know what kind of pathogens might exist here. We can't afford a breach. Come on. We have to keep moving. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this bonus content of DLC. I'm very excited because it's another chat of people who make awesome music for awesome games i'm going to let them introduce themselves steve take it away hi i'm steve cox uh or stephen e cox which has uh been forced upon me due to uh there being many <laughs> stephen coxes out there believe it or not and uh so i'm legally stephen e cox uh, <laughs> on itunes uh yeah and uh i i'm the composer lead composer on uh, the, our latest score for Farpoint, uh, the PSVR game. And uh, I also do a lot of work in media, TV, and film as well. Great. Danny. Yeah, my name is Danny McIntyre. I go by Daniel McIntyre, Daniel John McIntyre, and all that stuff, but Danny's just fine. Uh, I don't have any issues. So I'm also composer. I work with Steve in many projects. We have a company called Unified Sounds together. Um, we've scored, we just recently finished Farpoint, uh, the PlayStation VR game, and we do lots of stuff for CBS Sports and uh, other companies as well. Pretty much everywhere that we can get busy, we just love scoring. Yeah, well, thank you for taking time to do this. The first question I need to ask, and I assume, I, I think I know what your answer is, but the first question I need to ask you both is, do you guys have a stockpile 
of the bundle of the game Farpoint with the AIM controller sitting somewhere. Do those exist? As composers, do you have like a palette sitting that people can actually get their hands on it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard it's kind of hard to get these days. Uh, no, you know what? Uh, and uh, we we uh, had trouble ourselves going through Sony to get our our units, and uh, we had to, to go through the normal channels, just like Joe Schmo, consumer, and uh, yeah, it was tough to get those, but yeah, we grabbed it the first, uh, the first yeah, shipment. As soon as it was available. All right, well, this interview's over. You guys are no good to me or anyone else <laughs> listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I love VR. Jeff and I, uh, my co-host on the show, we sing its praises you know, weekly, and I feel like Farpoint came out, and blew Sony's sales expectations away or manufacturing expectations away where you can get the game digitally which is great if you you know already have the headset but I feel like the way to play the game is with that aim controller and those bundles I think on eBay they're 200 to 400 dollars or something like that right now which is no way it's just a shame yeah they're out of stock everywhere and the price the, the resale prices are are um, off the charts. I had no idea. Uh, me neither. Uh, and that's rough because I was about to buy one for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can buy it for him, but it won't be for your dad. It'll be for any kids or future kids, and you can send them to college with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, I have to look this up right now. This is, wow, you're totally not joking. Too no, I am much. not joking. Uh, oh, good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the bundle was in high demand. I think it sold out. It seemed, you know, kind of everywhere first day, and then people still the demand is still so high for it that those, you know, high priced eBay prices are actually still selling. Oh my goodness! Well, it is addictive. There is that. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's fun. I I mean, Danny and I, uh, we no longer use Skype. We uh, just yeah. log into Farpoint and get in co op <laughs> mode, and we have our business meetings as we're blowing up spiders and robots. <laughs> Oh man, I hope that's true. It is totally <laughs> Friday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you guys are, you know, prolific. You've done a lot of work. I'm curious, venturing into VR while music is music is music. I have found that because you're so immersed in that world, um, that scores are heightened as I'm playing the game. And I'm curious how how much of that you took into account scoring something or composing something for VR versus flat media, if that made a difference to you at all. Hmm. <clears throat> I, I think at the beginning, it, it was a... Uh, we were always walking a fine line between uh, being a completely immersive experience, uh, musically, or being a hyper-cinematic experience you know where the music is actually uh in your face even more so than a, a film um and so that i think that took half the score for us to really figure out like okay wh- how immersive do we need to go I, I mean do we just need one instrument playing and maybe a little background drone or should we uh beef it up and it, it was a gradual uh progression like we started out very ethereal very background ambient style and then it evolved into more of a traditional score uh with traditional action elements and and that type of stuff but uh, in, in the beginning no one knew what to do no one uh there was no right or wrong <laughs> we were all reinventing the wheel the uh i don't even think the headset was out yet when we first started and uh 
there was just no template for us, but I think we figured it out eventually. I think that's also because when we started, we were doing the, the in-game music, but as, as uh, the end of the writing stuff happened, we were starting to dig into the cinematics. So that's, I think those are, are naturally bigger sounding anyway than the in-game music. Yeah. Good so, point. you know, so we, I, but you're right that we really, it all sort of started to, to come together as we went. And the, the earlier cues that we did are nothing like the, the later cues, except that there's a lot of light motifs thrown into the cinematics because we had the ability to write those, uh, those in-game plays uh, scores earlier. So we had a lot of stuff to pull from, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like with with VR, kind of talking about how immersive it can be, I mean, even with just a background drum or, you know, a hum or subtle stuff, I think when you when a gamer is playing a game on a TV or on your phone or whatever, the chance of distractions is always there. If, even if I'm playing a game on my huge 65-inch whatever OLED screen, I might look at my phone, I might not have headphones on, I might have just a crappy sound system from the TV, but chances are if you're doing VR – you're not looking at your phone because you can't. You have headphones on, at least a somewhat you know decent pair of earbuds that the came with the PSVR that that recreate that 3D sound. Or you've really in, in, invested in the tech and you have a, a really nice set of cans on or something like that, and you're you're in that world. So I imagine you know figuring out yeah how heavy do you want to punch somebody in the face sonically, uh, <laughs> so to speak, or punch them in the ears, I should say. Um, it had to be a, a, a delicate thing, and then uh, you mentioned this—the kind of the score changing as the game progressed. I don't want to spoil anything for someone who's still hunting one of those bundles, but Farpoint is definitely a game that that changes um, its style, and I would say villains or you know who you're shooting, what, what's happening as the game progresses. And I'm curious how that maybe also further impacted your your decision to mix it up as you went forward. Yeah, uh, most definitely. Uh, we, I don't want to say we were flying blind in the beginning. We did get a great project brief. We got screenshots, references, everything a composer needs to do a job. Um, but we, we kind of thin on gameplay captures and, okay, what do these levels look like? How do they interact? How's the implementation going to work? Um, and once that was figured out, the screen captures started coming in weekly, and uh, that was great. Just being able to see gameplay, they might drop in a random cue just to see how music is sitting in the space. Um, and, and yeah, the, the more we got to see of that, uh, the more... Yeah, I don't want to spoil it either, because I was about ready to talk about the villains. Um, but the villains do evolve, uh, as does the music. Um, in the beginning, the music is barren. It's, uh, you know, I don't think I'm spoiling anything there. You're you're dropped on a planet by yourself. Uh, the music is stark and barren and lonely. Uh, and then as the enemies increase in number and frequency, so does the music. And the enemies, uh, I don't want to say, I shouldn't say that. The enemies change. <laughs> you know, they change from one thing to another thing to another thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're in challenge mode, sometimes all of those things attack you at once. And so the, I think, well, yeah, the music is the same in the challenge mode, but it's it's triggered differently, of course, because it's not in story mode. But it still has that kind of uh, the, the same tension-like qualities that are in the, the, the full game, the story mode. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I feel like almost more so because there's never the rest isn't the same. Whereas in story right. mode, the rest is the campaign. I mean, the sometimes narratives or just the, you know, catch your breath moment where you're walking. But in, in the challenge mode, it's, you might have a chance to catch your breath, but the whole point of it is you're not catching your breath. Exactly. <laughs> like right. here comes everything. Yeah. yeah so it's a little more wall to wall. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. If there was some defining characteristic between the first half and the second half of the game, I think it would be percussion and possibly synthesis. Uh, We were really uh, staying away from any percussive elements initially, uh, just because we didn't know how they would work. You know, is a, is a drum going to sound like a gunshot or a spider laying an egg or what is it? Um, So, and and then as the action got thicker and thicker, then, okay, it's time for some drums, time for some beats and a little bit of synthesis and, uh, of course, the orchestral palette never left. It's always there throughout the game. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't thought about um, how how a sound cue, like a drummer or, or, or bass or something like that, you could, especially, again, I, I keep saying this in VR, um, could startle you in a way that it might not otherwise, where you're like, who's behind me? <laughs> or like, what, was, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> Yeah, wow. it's so directional. It's so pinpoint. Um, uh, that was one of the first codes we had to crack. It's like, how is the music going to be represented in the space? Is it going to be a part of the world, or is it going to be just all-encompassing all around your head? And uh, I don't think I'm giving anything away here, because this is kind of the way everybody's doing it now, but the music is a part of the world. It's They're basically virtual speakers stuck to the virtual walls <laughs> and uh so it can get very directional and it could sound like there's a violin coming from behind the rock or yeah it, it can get uh funky but as long as it's not a fiddle coming from behind a tree i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, a, or a banjo right yeah uh danny i think you mentioned how like the changing um the regular game or the action, the part of the game where the player's in control versus the cinematics. And I'm curious for both of your experience from television, advertising, a more traditional media versus games where the triggers, the player might prompt a trigger at a different point or how you try to convey a tone and a theme while also knowing that, and even within the game, right, the cinematics are so different. I have no interaction there versus a game where I might put my controller down for an hour and, you know, knowing a programmer might then be looping your score for that same hour or jumping in, like how that the challenges of, of working in a game space versus a commercial or a feature or a TV show. Yeah, I think it's hmm. it's probably well, first, I always consider all of it just storytelling. Um, no matter what I'm, I'm working on, it's it's the, the main point is just to tell a story. The difference really are the deliverables or as Steve likes to mention it. Uh, it's it's linear versus nonlinear, and so that you know that that takes a lot of consideration. You know the the, the what happens can change depending on what, where the characters go. So it's it's very interactive. The score is being almost recomposed by the player depending on what they're doing. Um, so you have to write in that sense. You have to everything has to be a little more modular than maybe a film score that goes from start to finish always the same way. Um, it's just always going to be a little bit different. And do you find that challenge exciting, um, uh, more of an, a nuisance than anything else or no, invigorating it's, because it's, 
fresh and different and something to tackle. It's totally fun. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, All writing is totally fun. It's just a different <laughs> mindset. It's, it's really fun. Yeah, it's a it's a different set of parameters, really, to, to stick in. It, I mean, as a film composer, you're always locked down to the director's vision, to the producer's vision, or studios. And in a video game, yeah, you have that, that same parameter, but you're not locked down to hit points or visual cues that need to be you know, nailed at a certain time and timed just perfectly. There's, there's a lot more flexibility there. And uh, I, I loved being able to, hey, we can put this in the same key, in the same tempo, and maybe we could mash these guys up, these lines here, and, and maybe they could implement it in a way that would be beneficial <laughs> to the action. Um, I just, I loved thinking, forward thinking like that, like, you know, making sure that you're writing something that's not going to screw you up down the, down the road. Oh yeah. That's every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All day, every day. Do you guys have favorite scores that maybe inspired you or something that you kind of it was, okay, this is sci-fi, this is action. There is an emotional core to it. There are these characters. It, was it, you know, a lot of 2001, a lot of aliens, uh, yeah, totally new. Said, you just you said it. it. One of the references <laughs> they sent us was aliens, the Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> and I yeah. loved that opening scene and uh you know we didn't we didn't cop it or we didn't do anything that was too similar but what we took from it was the cold sparse sparseness and loneliness of it and uh that really inspired me i just kept listening to that open opening scene from alien over and over yeah yeah what that film did aesthetically and musically in terms of just defining i think what sci-fi is whether it's I mean, there's two versions of sci-fi. There's the fresh, clean, futuristic, everything is great, you know, version. Or then there's the seem to be more widely adopted. It's dirty. It's it's gritty. We have space travel, but we still use CRT TVs. Uh, <laughs> right. That kind of. And then and then the audio needs to match with that. You can't have, you know, Skrillex dropping the beat uh, <laughs> to that in that environment. It wouldn't fit in that world. And I think even in Farpoint, where you know, it walks the line between the two where, um, you know, there is current tech or, you know, current projected future tech in the game and in the cinematics and, and how you're traveling. It's also still a very lived in sci-fi world and not um, this hyper clean, never been touched world. And I'm curious. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to kind of look to scores that had maybe played in that that same ballpark before. Hmm. Well, it, we did get a, a wide variety of, of references initially that and of course we ate them up for breakfast watched those movies twice each um and i i i would say we we drew more of the aesthetic uh, we didn't walk away with like oh that progression right there or that instrumentation uh lineup you know that ensemble would be perfect it was more like okay this is the emotional content that needs to be represented and yeah. uh and as we were going through the game and scoring it, we found a few other games out there that had very similar vibes. Um, and one that comes to mind is The Last of Us, believe it or not, <laughs> minus the nylon guitar. Um, <laughs> it's some of the deep in-game cues are awesome. Uh, Gustavo Santo, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, have, I have the vinyl behind me. It's yeah, uh, it's incredible. <laughs> um, he's he's awesome. 
and uh, and some of that that deep in game stuff really uh, really worked well in terms of inspiration, uh, in terms of how sparse it should be and how uh, the peaks and valleys and where the music does dip and where it slams you in the in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, one question I always need to ask, and I don't want to keep you guys forever. And I, again, we're working over lunch. Uh, (laughs) um, if someone wants to get into specifically, I guess, scoring or composing in general, but then also is maybe more interested in the games or even new media space, would you have tips or tricks or would you recommend be as versatile as possible or no focus on focus on VR, learn how to work in that world? Or do you have an idea of how to point someone's ship in the right direction hmm. yeah. I, I think it, it all as a, as a musician it, it all comes down to musicianship first you know just be you know make sure all your chops are there where they need to be and then make sure all your tech chops are there and then make sure that uh, people like to work with you and if all <laughs> those three things are in place then you're just gonna you're gonna be able to go wherever you want really yeah, I I really I, I think a, a certain level of flexibility is always needed, especially in in the world of tech and games and uh, multimedia apps that are coming out. Yet you have to be flexible. Um, mm-hmm. It's not always going to be the same way in terms of workflow delivery. Uh, you always want to know who your boss is. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Know who's giving you the marching orders and uh, and. and don't take anything personally, you know, like when someone rejects a cue or says no, uh, it's, it's not your fault. <laughs> you know, you did your best, That's right? just move on and, and, and do better. It's really easy for young composers to get hung up on that ego stuff. Um, and we all did it. We all go through it, you know, early and out of college. Um, but just being able to separate the ego I think it will make your life a lot easier because the whole thing is a revision that everybody's revising everything <laughs> always, especially in a video game. And uh, the music is being revised as well. So be comfortable. Yeah. With that process. <clears throat> I think being liked and uh, being flexible or not taking things personally are, is great advice. I came across a quote recently. I liked uh, a, just from a, a friend or social media posted. It was, um, coming out of school, I wanted to be the best writer I could be. Having worked for years, I want—I now know I want to work with the best editor I can work with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's it. Uh, I, I can't give enough props to the Sony Music team. Um, I mean, I try to. Jonathan Mayer, uh, Anthony Caruso, those guys um, took our stuff to the next level. They really did. Mm. They uh, helped us refine it. And it's better because of the guys behind the scenes. And, uh, yeah, major props to Sony Music. Amen to that. Uh, that's awesome. Is there anywhere – do you guys have upcoming projects you can safely talk about? I'm not trying to get spoilers out, but if you want to confirm Farpoint 2, uh, go ahead and do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, well, we couldn't talk about Farpoint for a year, so <laughs> I think it'll be about another year before we can talk about anything else. Um, <laughs> Uh, we do have some cool stuff in TV and media happening, and I don't even think I can 
announce that stuff yet. Um, well, how about this? Where can I point people to find stuff online so that they can, when it becomes available, they can start following you now or keeping in touch. And then when it, when you're allowed to talk about it, they'll see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our unified sounds.com is our company's page and, uh, anything that we're cleared to talk about will pop up there. Uh, but uh, on another note, I, I would go to that website and go to Twitter, uh, our Twitter page is fairly active and anything cool and new will be uh, posted there. Um, so unifiedsounds.com will have all the info. You said you also have an active Twitter account. Um, what about people that are like interested in, in Farpoint? Like you want to hear it all the time. Uh, it, it is a digital release. So it's on amazon.com. It's iTunes, Google play, uh, Spotify, streaming everywhere so i uh, i would definitely check it out the soundtrack's got a lot of cool stuff that is kind of hard to make out during the game it's very cool to hear it on its own well i guess that's just us saying that but <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyone other than you two hate it but yeah. uh, <laughs> that's all and we could just search farpoint or stephen e cox yes yeah. stephen yeah and uh, i mean we just wrapped up a NFL package, which I'm pretty happy about for CBS mm-hmm. Sports. Um, we've been rocking it out. My guitars are all messed up and <laughs> strung right now. Um, so that's that's been a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. And kickoff is sometime late August or early September, I guess. It's here. I mean, it's yeah, it's right around the yeah, corner. Right. Oh, I can't but wait. pretty much any time you watch CBS Sports on a weekend, you're going to hear our stuff. You know, yeah. not wall to wall, but you'll hear eventually. You'll hear something that we did. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I, I I picture um, now like I'll be watching football and my wife will be like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "It's work, babe. I know these guys. It's cool. I need to. <laughs> I need to listen." Yeah. I, I, We've been saying that for years to our wives. <laughs> yeah, that's a work. This is research right here. I'm trying to listen to the cue. <laughs> I know I have it on the Red Zone channel, but trust me, like I, I need to hear all of it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Also, congrats on Farpoint. What an incredible game! And um, I hope I hope more aim controllers come out into the world because I, I do think that is the way to experience um, and really play through it and get a feel for it. But just what an incredible game! And uh, thank you for your work on it and for taking the time to talk about it. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Christian. Pilgrim, can you read me? This is Dr. Tyson and Dr. Moon. Come back. 